even if you have a strategy, even if you know I'm not supposed, I'm not gonna, I'm not supposed to get mad if I get tapped out. I'm not supposed to get mad if I get cracked. It's the the emotion still arises. Um, that's like what you work on to eventually where it doesn't. And I feel like the as many fights as I've had in the last couple of years, I feel like I'm really getting good at that. Um, just being calm and knowing that the calmer I am and the less emotion I have, the better I'm going to perform. So there's no point in me getting angry or so like. Or and just getting tapped out every day. It's just uh, you learn to deal with it. Yeah, for me, it's just it it happens in training, especially you're sparring someone and you're supposed to be sparring light, and they crack you, and then I get a smile on my face. I'm like, all right, motherfucker, if we're gonna go like that, we're gonna go like that. But definitely having those little those small practices to be able to bring yourself back in the moment take a big belly breath and feel gravity bringing you down and just bringing you back right into the present moment having those tools has been just so huge not just in fighting but in everything welcome to living 4d with paul check today paul talks with two amazing guys from the world of mixed martial arts tim welch and sean o'malley Tim is a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and a professional fighter himself, as well as coach and friend of Sean Sugar O'Malley, who competes in the bantamweight division of UFC. Well, welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. I am super excited to share two guys with you that many of you will know and that I love, man. These are some cool cats. Sean O'Malley, the amazing MMA fighter, Tim Welsh, his amazing coach. Welcome, guys. Thank you, Paul. Hey, Paul, we're pumped to be here. We've been loving the 4D uh, podcast. All the guests you've been having, we're fucking pumped to be here, baby. Oh, yeah, good. I'm glad you're enjoying it. Some of them have been really fun. They're all interesting people, but some of them are, you know, really fun. Like I had a great time with James Wanless, he, he, the tarot guy. He's such a lively guy. and. James Hollis, the Jungian professor, is very deep and interesting. So I hope you guys are getting getting some you know some useful information out of that. Hell yeah, we definitely are. Love it. Well, I'm glad I get to share with you guys uh, as well. And and uh, whenever I can, I check in on your podcast too, and they're always interesting. So thank you. Um, we we got to spend some time together up here at the Heaven House, where we were supposed to record this podcast together, but we got so carried away lifting rocks and talking about life and love and relationships. And I got to meet your beautiful women. And so I'm very excited that you guys have such great partners in your life. And uh, I'm excited to dive into all sorts of neat stuff and get a kind of a deeper look at the fight game here today. You guys up for that? Heck yeah. Hell yeah. We're ready to go as deep as you want, baby. Let's go deep sea diving. Let's go. So I'd love it if each of you can give a general encapsulation of what led you to being competitive fighters. Like what what was the impulse or the, the desire, the dream, the inspiration, the motivation that made you choose, you know, competitive fighting? It's a it's a painful game to be in, so there there must be something in that for you. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll go first, and then Sean, Sean can go second. But uh, for me, I was raised a Jehovah's Witness my whole life, so I was super sheltered, not Uh allowed to hang out with worldly people or not to do, not allowed to do any sports whatsoever. Just a lot of preparing for church, 
going door to door and just everything was about the Jehovah's Witness. Um, just witnessing. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And then my parents got divorced when I was in seventh grade. And uh, I lived with my mom in Canada and she sheltered me. I wasn't really able to do anything. So I, at that young age, I was like, fuck, I can't do this. I can't do this anymore. So I moved back to the States with my dad, who was no longer a Jehovah's Witness. Freshman year in high school, I started wrestling and boxing. And loved it. I was a little bit behind in a rest in the wrestling room, and after I graduated, I was like, "Man, there's got to be something more I can do." So I started fighting, and then when I was 19 years old, I turned professional and made my first thousand dollars. And I was like, "Man, this fighting shit's all I think about, and I can make money doing it." So from 19 to about 27, I've been fighting, fighting for money, and living the professional lifestyle. I've gotten to train with a lot of the best coaches in the world, some of the best athletes in the world. And, um, that's kind of how I got started. That's exciting. It's, it's a, it's an interesting start. We can, you know, at, at points in the interview, we can dive deeper into some of those things. Cool. And for me, I was, I was, I remember I was on a family vacation. I was 16 years old. My buddy called me, his name was Mitch Foley. And he said, uh, Hey, you want to go check out this fighting gym? And I, I was like, yeah, sure. I, I didn't, I wasn't super, I wasn't into fighting. I didn't, I didn't even watch it. I, I didn't like the thought of fighting, but I was like, yeah, I'll go check it out. I was, I, was, uh, I think I was going into freshman or sophomore year in high school, and I was I was small. I didn't want to get bullied. I wanted to feel like I could beat someone up. So I w- got into that, um, and then what kind of drove me to get to Phoenix, that was back in Montana. What kind of drove me to get down to Phoenix or, or get somewhere that was a better gym was like the motivation and, and my mindset back when I was that young was money, uh, women, um, just like the, like I'd watch someone on TV, like a superstar and I'd be like, I want to be like that. And, uh, that, that drove me to get down here. And then I realized like after I had, I've had like 15, 16 fights down here in Phoenix and, and I've won them all. So, so that's been good. But, uh, I realized after making a good amount of money and all that, that none of that really made me, made me happy. But, um, I was definitely motivated by all that stuff. What got me here, which was, you know, it got me here so and I just really wanted to be seen I wanted an audience I love performing and I love uh I love the competition and I love how it's one-on-one it's I I grew up playing basketball football baseball soccer all team sports and if we lost I would be upset with with the the team I'd be like I wouldn't have lost like in my mind I like I hate losing so I got into got into fighting and that's one-on-one it's as personal as it gets so it's kind of what got me into fighting that's exactly what got me into uh, boxing. Um, I, I would be irritated as hell after we lost a football game and there would be guys that just kind of were playing half-ass, you know, not really mm-hmm. putting their heart and soul into it. It was just to piss me right off. And then when I was in Taekwondo, you know, it was all point fighting and every time I would whack one of the black belts for whacking me, the the, the uh, teacher, the, the – uh, the master would get pissed off at me. <laughs> I had come from a boxing background and I'm like, these guys are trying to kill me. You want, you, you think I'm just going to stand here and take this shit. <laughs> and so, uh, after a while I just found it exhausting because it was just, it turned out to be, you know, just a bunch of girly fighting. I said, you know, I'm, I'm here to learn to fight and you can't, nobody on the, in the street's going to tap, tap you like this. <laughs> right. Call, call for mommy. So right. I, I went down and joined, a boxing club and that's when the rubber hit the freaking road pal there was no 
there was no lovey-dovey shit going on there. No. Nope. <laughs> yeah. Nice, nice. You know, you guys are obviously very accomplished fighters. I mean, uh, I think, Sean, you know, you're you're now getting to be very famous. And, um, Tim, you're probably getting just as famous as his coach. But uh, uh, when and when people find out that I've met you guys and hang out with you, they say, what's Sean O'Malley like? I say, he's the John Lennon of martial arts, man. He's, he's the cool <laughs> – He's the cool cat. <laughs> well, thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. You know, um, this is kind of a, a a bit of a deep sideways question. You know, it's obvious that you're very committed to martial arts, but it, it, it takes a lot of your time. What do you feel is the, the deeper drive to devote so much time to perfecting this one art? Yeah, the thing is, there's just it's it's not one art. It's Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. It's wrestling. It's boxing. It's Muay Thai. It's building your. Um, it's being flexible. Uh, building your mind power. It's all these different things. So once you get bored, say you're getting a little bit bored of Jiu Jitsu. Well, the next couple of weeks you can focus on your boxing. Um, but devoting the time, I I, I love the jujitsu now probably more than any other art after I ran into a few injuries. I tore both my biceps back to back years. And then my fight back, I broke my jaw really severely broke my jaw. So in, in all those times I was forced to kind of live without fighting for a while. And that's what kind of led me to you and uh, your course. And what led me to start meditation and start looking at things a little bit differently learn about what I can give back to people, what I've learned and what I can give back then rather than focusing on fighting and making money and just making that paycheck. Yeah. Well, good. So that's, that's, that's a beautiful answer. I've got another, another question that I'll hit you with after Sean shares his, his uh, feelings. Yeah. For me, it's like just the lifestyle that, that uh, I've, I've been living by doing all this martial arts is and the, the people that you meet on the way, like at Tim's gym, he opened up not too long ago. Like you meet the coolest people, you know, there's guys that go to work eight hours a day and they still show up at night and do their jujitsu. And I, I look at that and I'm just lucky that that's my job. I, I get to come here. That's, that's, that's my job. They come here after working cause I love jujitsu so much. So it makes me really love it even more. And then just battling the ego fighting's really, it's a, it's something you battle every day is losing, having to tap out, having to, um, you know, yeah, just tapping out hard enough to, or not anymore, but learning how to deal with your ego and everything. Fighting's really helped me with that. And then like Tim said, we kind of got into meditation and all that stuff to help perform in the octagon to help fight. But now it's really just a part of, it's, it's a part of that outside of fighting too. We do all that stuff just to become better people. So, and fighting has really led us to all of that, Inclu- including eat, eating healthy and just eating healthy and meditating and just building ourselves up. It's, fighting has led us to all that, like Sugar said, and that's why I'm super thankful for it. And the difficulties we have, we encounter, like Tim breaking his jaw, like I'm going through a couple of suspensions right now for something I've literally never I'm suspended from the UFC and I can't fight right now for something I literally never have done. So I'm having to deal with things like that, but man needs difficulty. So I'm, I'm just looking at it in the best perspective I can. And it's, I know at the end of it, 
I, I will become a better person. But in the middle of it, I'm trying to also become a better person. And it's sometimes it's hard, but it's part of life. Yeah, you know, it, it's uh, there's so many facets to life, and these things are all ways that we grow our character and and go deeper into our soul nature. I believe, you know, if it's if it's just win lose win lose work out. Uh, eat, sleep, have some sex, work out, eat, sleep, have some sex, then we don't really grow much. And then, you know, if we, but when we have to deal with the adversities of life, if you can take the same level of, of approach that you'd have to take to a skilled opponent and uh, take that approach into life, uh, I think ultimately, if we engage our life that way, it, it guarantees that we've got growth potential. Yeah, absolutely. I'm curious, you know, part of the reason for me asking that question um, about devoting so much of your life, what do you guys do to, to keep yourself balanced so that you're not always in the fight game? You know, uh, you know, Tim, you mentioned several aspects of the fight game, but what about the other aspects of your life, such as expressing your creativity or doing things that allow you to detach because with the fight stuff, there's always an objective. There's always an outcome. What do you do to that doesn't have an outcome? Whether, you know, things like singing, dancing. How do you play, you guys? For us, for us a lot, or for, for me at least, and I know Sugar also too, a lot of our, our play is going to the gym and hanging out with these people and testing ourselves on the mats. But then when we come home, we're experiencing different stuff. Like now we have our freezers, so we've been uh, playing with cold water immersion and testing ourselves in that way, and then um, finding different different ways to eat healthy and different ways to make organic good foods, and hanging out with our dogs and hanging out with our girls who've really turned into our our best friends that we can be a hundred percent honest with in every area. So just those things in general, I I feel so I feel like it's it's so how can I say fulfilling I guess and for yeah. me for me now having a gym and being able to give back the knowledge and help other people get more confident um that's been way more fulfilling to me than even competing and fighting myself that's good uh, I like that you know you guys are still young so as you mature you'll reach points where something inside of you needs something else and and, you know, these are the things, this is the reason that I paint, as you guys know, you've seen a lot of my paintings here in the house and, and, uh, you know, meditation and, you know, you guys don't have kids yet, but there's just so much to life. I find if athletes aren't careful that their, their, uh, sense of self gets narrowed down so much. And what happens is if they get an injury, it can be so debilitating because they don't know themselves outside their specific sport. So they become trapped in identifying themselves as what they do, not as who they really are. That's what I feel like I'm kind of dealing with. Well, I feel like I've, I've kind of dealt with it um, last year, back in October when they pulled me off of, off the card and suspended me for six months. Um, that's when I, I was like, I was so identified with, I'm a UFC fighter. I'm this, I was so identified with my ego that I didn't really know what else to do. And it was depressing, but I feel like the things that really helped me the most was continuing to learn, listening to podcasts, listening to you, um, reading, and, and definitely setting aside a meditation practice. Um, 
at least 10 minutes every day, like just, just kind of trying to quiet my mind and observing those thoughts. And, and uh, I feel like that's really helped me kind of not identify with just being a fighter as much. And I still deal with it right now. Like I'm, like I said, I'm suspended still, and it's still hard because I feel like I'm, I'm the UFC fighter. I'm the fighter I need to be fighting. And I still deal with that pretty much every day. And it's just something I'm trying to get better at. And, but yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, there's, there's, there's going to be, as you know, there is a lot of emotion around that sort of, it's almost as though you've been entrapped, you know, that you're in a Mexican finger trap, the harder you pull to get out, the harder it bites. Right. So, you know, there's where you can do some inner work and, uh, let that dragon teach you how to, how to dance, but, uh, try to, uh, keep breathing through your belly and trust great spirit. Cause you know, like, like Tim was sharing just a minute ago when he got his jaw broke, it led to learning about, you know, some of the stuff I teach and other things. So as long as you use this opportunity, a lot of people, when they get in a situation like that, they just go into a poor me funk right. or get, get into drugs and alcohol and sex or pornography or whatever distraction they can come up with. But if you just use your meditation and empty yourself and say, dear soul, guide me to the blessing that is before me so that I know what I am supposed to do to fulfill my legacy at this time and just empty yourself and see what impulse, see what message arises without you thinking, see what images start to pop up. And you might find out that there's some amazing things that are just waiting for you right under the radar that you wouldn't pick up if you didn't get still like that. Right. Yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty cool because definitely, like you said, a lot of fighters. Every time someone sees you, they their first question is, "When's your next fight? When's your next fight?" Yeah, you, you could have just fought yesterday, and they'll say, "When's your next fight?" So it's easy to define yourself as "I'm a fighter, I'm a fighter." But watching your videos and and reading and trying to have those injuries and realize I can live super happy completely without fighting was was big for me and sugar's kind of going through that a little bit right now also in 35 years of professional practice paul has earned a reputation for being able to help clients when others have failed if you listen to the episode featuring skateboard legend danny way you've heard the story behind just one of those cases that reputation and all of the learning it took to get paul there was hard won Paul flew all over the world to learn from experts, spent countless dollars on rare or out-of-print books, listened to hundreds of hours of lectures, tested out everything he learned, and devoted many, many hours of putting all the techniques together into one singular system of holistic health. It would take decades to reproduce his system if you started from scratch. Fortunately, you don't have to do that. If it's your calling to be the best health and performance professional that you can be, to become a true master in resolving deep health challenges and helping athletes reach their optimal performance, then you're ready for the Czech Academy. We are thrilled to announce that we are now accepting applications to join this group of dedicated and passionate students into the most structured, comprehensive and affordable way to complete the entire system of Czech training. 
As a Czech Academy student, you'll grow personally and professionally in ways you never imagined because we've structured out an entire learning process for you designed to ensure you absorb every drop of knowledge in the courses you take and understand exactly how to implement what you've learned. And this truly is the most affordable way to learn the entire Czech system. Each course has been discounted for Academy students, plus you'll receive business training and mentorships that aren't available to any other Czech student, all for an affordable monthly fee. So if you're ready to learn Paul's system of holistic health and truly help people be their healthiest best, if you want to realize your own potential as a holistic health and performance coach, we invite you to apply now for the Czech Academy. Go to checkinstitute.com forward slash academy to get started. And now let's get back to this episode of Living 4D with Paul Check. Good. I'm going to give you a tip for both of you, if you don't mind. Can I do that? Yes, sir. Heck yeah. Get You guys saw my blackboards in the house here, right? Yep. Yes. For, for your gym. Get a nice big blackboard or even a pen board and put lots of colors out, be they colored chalk or colored whiteboard pens. And each day, go spontaneously draw, doodle something and invite anyone in there. And there's a technique I use called turning shit into flowers or pain in, into flowers And when you have emotion trapped in you about this or about anything and it's winding you up or maybe you get tapped out, not that that happens to you guys too much, I don't suspect, but others will, just point to the board and say, go draw your emotions up there. And whatever comes out, it can just be absolute gobbledygook shit. But it's just, just let it come out, whatever colors, whatever shapes, even if it's just angry scribble, and then sit back from it. If it takes 10 minutes or an hour or five days, then come back to that and use that as the foundation to create something that's beautiful. So like I often say to my patients and the athletes I coach, flowers grow in shit. Always remember that. If you get stuck in the shit, that's good. You're, you're being invited to grow. So if you take that expression and say, okay, now, Maybe that that big scribble I just put on there, maybe I can turn that into a flower bed and I'll just fill it with some brown and and then I'll I'll draw some flowers and maybe one of those flowers represents you and the other one represents your girlfriend and they're maybe facing each other and hugging each other, their leaves are wrapped around each other. But find a way to convert that pain, that emotion, that frustration, that entanglement into creating beauty. And what you'll find is if you just relax with that, art activates the parasympathetic system, which is the digest, eliminate, rebuild, repair. And it's also the side of you that's open to new possibilities. So I teach athletes to draw spontaneously on their rest periods and just not think about it. Just let whatever come out, come out. And it has a very profound balancing effect on the autonomic nervous system. And you can actually um, grow yourself by letting the child express itself and moving emotions out of you. That way, what is normally subjective and invisible and hard to get your hands on, but moves you very powerfully inside, sometimes too negatively, is expressed onto the board. And that's kind of like to use a metaphor. It's like when you got a 
a pimple coming to the surface and you can feel all that pressure and you think, damn, I got to get that garbage out of my skin. You squeeze it and it pops and it feels like such a great sense of relief. But when you just use chalk or pens to just bring that emotion out of you, it's like popping that damn zit. Then you can have that sense of release and relief and then step into your right brain and to your creative self and say, now, how can I transform that into something beautiful? Even if it's just a concept of beauty, it may not look beautiful because a lot of people are so insecure about their artistic abilities, but that's a limitation right there. So there's a there's your first transformation. If someone's standing there going, oh, I don't want anyone to see my art. Well, there, there's insecurity. There's the first step into healing. Sweet. Yeah, that's good. I like that. Flowers growing shit. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> I like that a lot. Yeah. And so whenever I get into trouble in my life, I say, okay, it's up to me. The fertilizer's here. I got to make something out of it. I got to be the farmer. If I just walk around bitching and being pissed off at everybody, which I'd spent plenty of life doing, um, I don't grow. But once I started working with art therapy and studying art therapy, I found it tremendously healing. And that's one of the reasons you see my house is covered in paintings. (laughs) You're a good painter too. I, Heck yeah. Some of your art was... Well, (laughs) I'm pretty childish. I've purposely never taken any painting lessons. I rarely look at anything to do with technique. I just want it to be very childlike and spontaneous. It's kind of funny because, you know, my mom, my mother's a very skilled sculptor, as you know, from seeing all the sculptures in the house. And whenever she sees my art, she's like, you really need to take an art class. Your face is not (laughs) proportioned right. This is wrong. The nose is too low. This eye is not the same. I'm like, mom. That's exactly why I don't want to take an art class. I've seen so many people ruined by all that critique. I said, what about just having fucking fun for a change? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I agree. (laughs) Um, What does being a high-level martial artist do for your sense of inner security for each of you? I mean, a lot of people have a lot of fear. There's, uh, We'll get into this later, but a lot of us come from pretty violent households and Uh, getting beat up and bullied in playgrounds and you know there's a fair bit of crazy people out there i'm wondering all this martial arts training and you guys are both very high level martial artists and fighters what does it do for you inside just being at that level of skill it makes it makes for me it makes me be able to be myself and be free i don't have to walk in anywhere and be insecure about anything for the most like i just go i can just I can just be myself at whether I'm at the gym or at, at at Sprouts at the grocery store or just anywhere. I can just be myself and not have to worry about someone not liking me or something. It's just it's it's comforting knowing that I can protect myself and whoever's around me. Yeah, I know that's true because I've seen a picture of you in that bikini, man. <laughs> what do you call that? What was the name of that thing? Uh, my mankini? Mankini, yeah. Oh, was, oh yeah. And I'm like, oh, yeah, he's alive. That man's alive. I'll send you one. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, send it to me. I'll have to share it on Instagram. I'll say this is why I love Sean O'Malley. <laughs> that's uh, funny yeah it's definitely different walking in say walking into a store or anywhere and knowing that you can you can protect yourself and working for ourselves we don't have to answer to anyone we don't have to act a certain way because our the corporation we work for will get mad but we do forget like mariah gets scared going into stores because she's a small little girl so it is definitely a comforting but it definitely also 
makes me want to be, I guess, nicer to people. Right. Nicer yeah. to other people because I know how insecure, insecure and other people are. So it makes you just want to be extra nice, I feel like. Well, we're going to get into some more issues that you're you're bringing, wanting me to bring up now, but we'll save it in the flow of the interview because there's some stuff about that that I, I'd like to share. Um, you know, my experience with elite combat athletes, whether they be football players, boxers, martial artists, or otherwise, is that anger is commonly used as a source of motivation to face the perceived enemy, or even I've worked uh, with track and field athletes that that have to get themselves pissed off to get their best long jump or high jump. And they, you, you, get, you can actually see them quite often on television when they're just getting ready for their game. Some of them will be slapping themselves, punching themselves and all sorts of stuff. I'm wondering if, uh, do either of you need anger to motivate yourself? And what do you feel the long range consequences of that approach are for those that do it? See, I think, that's kind of the difference between an amateur fighter and a pro. Amateurs do have a lot of emotions when they're in their fighting, whether it's fear, whether it's anger. And at a high-level pro, the at being a high-level pro, it's hard because you have to be thinking. You got to be thinking about the next move. You got to be thinking about whether you're up that round. You got to be thinking about – you got to truly be thinking. And for me, the – I perform my best when I'm completely emotionless. I'm not reacting on emotions. I'm just thinking about the techniques and really being in the moment and seeing what the person gives me. And for me, I feel like like if, you, if anyone's watched me fight or watched me walk out to my last couple fights, um, pretty much every single fight, I'm, I'm, I'm extremely calm. Um, I try, I'm, I'm present. I'm usually smiling and I'm just trying to feel certain sensations, like whether I'm feeling just like the energy in my body or the, the the canvas on my feet. I'm just trying to bring myself to the, just be completely there. I feel like that's where I perform my best. Um, just definitely, because I've, I've, I've fought mad. I've, you know, I've had been sparring in my rounds and got clipped and I got angry and then I, I do worse. I don't do as good as if I'm calm, emotionless and just present. So um, I feel like just, but everyone's different. I don't know, like scientifically, if he would fight better if he was angry or this or that. But I feel like uh, for me, just just being calm and present. Yeah, you know, I know you guys say, uh, or I think it was Tim that just said that professionals don't do that. But I have to kind of disagree. I mean, all you got to do is turn on most boxing matches and a lot of you know weigh-ins, and you see prodding and poking and nasty behavior. I've even seen fights break out at weigh-ins and all sorts of stuff. So there's a hell of a lot of uh, provocation going on and, and, you know, stuff like that. I, I think I think it might be partially because you guys have just evolved yourself past that. But what do you feel the consequences are for those that are using anger to get motivated, particularly the long-range consequences? Yeah, I think definitely at weigh-ins, there's a lot of um... – mental warfare going on trying to be big chested and trying to intimidate your partner but um well what was the question again sorry about anger being the motive to to perform long term yeah anger being the motive long term i just i feel like you won't last very long your relationships won't be good um i think it would be super exhausting always having to be angry or have to train angry and be angry 
Um, I don't think it'd be super healthy. I think being angry, having to fight anger, I feel like anger is just kind of an unhealthy emotion, and it's it's a uh, yeah weakness. It's it's not if you're angry, there's something you have to address there. I don't know. I I don't. I've never understood like how you have to get angry to fight or get mad to fight someone because I don't look at fighting as like street and fighting. I literally look at fighting, and everyone says it. It's like chess. It's a it's, yeah, it, it is. Yeah. I, I look at it like a, it's a competition. It's a sport. It's a it's a game. It's who's it's my mind versus your mind. Also, my body versus your body and, and fighting. But I, I look at it as like, why would you want to be angry? You know, playing playing some, doing something you love to do. Why would you be angry? So I don't think it's healthy to have to get angry to fight. But who knows? I mean, I don't I don't know the science behind it all. Well, I think everyone's different. There's different between athletes and then just fighters. Someone like True. Diego Sanchez who really builds up this emotion and says, this person's trying to take my money. This person's trying to beat me up in front of my family. I'm going to fuck him up. And I'm going to go yeah. into each training day thinking about this guy's trying to beat my ass. So yeah. fuck that. So a lot of people. Yeah, that's do. what I'm talking about. True. Yeah, definitely. See, I think uh, anger is a very narrow bandwidth. You know, if you think of it, um, your receptivity goes very down and you become very sympathetically driven. And you lose your capacity for creative thinking and spontaneity. Right. Uh, but a great fighter has to be very creative and spontaneous, especially if you get somebody in there that's potentially better than you, which doesn't necessarily mean you can't beat them. But if you narrow your bandwidth and the guy standing right in front of you has just as many tricks and is just as tough and just as conditioned as you, then you got to drop into your creative space and, and uh, do something new. And, and especially with professional fighters, because you guys study each other on film and you kind of, you know, say, OK, I'm going to study this guy's chess moves and what his habits are, what his tells are. And if you narrow down, then you're you're too studyable. But if you keep that open space, you know, when I used to fight and somebody would give me a good solid wake up call, I would say, ah. Thank you for teaching me that I need to get my shit together here. <laughs> Thank you for cracking yeah, me. Definitely. I yeah. think even the last kid that Sean fought where he broke his foot, um, the kid was super, super emotional, didn't like Sean, came into that fight with a lot of emotions. And I and we knew that. We we both knew that, and that's exactly what we wanted him to get emotional and mad because we knew he wouldn't be thinking correctly. He'd make yeah. mistakes. And Sean had his foot broke on that last round and the kid could have just stood up but he was so emotional he couldn't even listen to his corners he was after what after he tweeted what i was saying was so disrespectful because i was talking to him a little bit because i knew he was just mad and acting on emotions and being pissed and that's a big reason why he lost that last fight right yeah yeah i couldn't fight sean i just want to hug him man like, <laughs> i'd be like yeah. You know, and that's, that brings up an interesting point. I've always found it interesting in our culture. If you walk up to a man on the street and hug him or kiss him, immediately people think you're a fag, you're gay. <laughs> gay. Right? Yeah. But if you beat the fuck out of somebody, you can hug him and kiss him in public and everyone thinks it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought about that. That's fucking funny. Well, that is what weird. does that say about our culture? I mean, that, you know, we have, <laughs> we have buried that that sense of connection and love amongst men so deep under this fucking shining armor. Unfortunately, a lot of it Christian soldier armor that right. now we, you know, it's, it's terrible because we really have to 
kill somebody and then it's okay to hug them and even kiss them. Then you're cool. But I think, you know, one of the thing I like about jujitsu is a lot of my friends and and a lot of my clients actually are very deep into jujitsu. And I find the guys that are into jujitsu have much more access to the feminine element in themselves. They're much more water-like. They don't, they seem to be more emotionally mature than most other uh, martial arts styles. Yeah, I, I think I think a lot of other martial arts styles, you don't get humbled on a daily basis. Like we train with some uh, Brazilian black belts a couple times a week, and they've been doing jujitsu for over twenty years. And I'm a black belt in jujitsu, and I run my own school. Sugar's a UFC fighter; he's a purple belt in jujitsu. But we still get tapped out daily. So it get our re- ass whooped. <laughs> yeah, get our, our butts whooped. So it really humbles us and realizes there's always someone who can kick your ass. It's hard to imagine you guys getting tapped out, I must say. <laughs> there's some bad it happens. dudes. There's some bad dudes out there. We, we try to find the toughest guys in Phoenix and go roll with them as much as we if can. You're, if you're yeah. at a gym and you're not getting beat up, you're at the wrong gym. And yeah. there's literally always, like Tim said, always someone out there that can whoop your ass. Oh, yeah, you know. When I was on the Army boxing team, um, James Bonecrusher Smith used to train with us for his fights. In fact, he was training with us when he prepared to fight Mike Tyson. I don't know if you remember, he was the first guy to go the distance with Mike Tyson. And uh, I was actually his massage therapist. Most people wouldn't know that. But, wow. Uh, he was oh, cool. James, James Bonecrusher Smith, a very cool guy. But he when he was in training for fighting uh, Tyson and, and and Larry Larry Holmes, they, you know, they'd hire these sparring partners to come in, but he kept knocking these guys out like cheese, right? Yeah. And they, so they couldn't find anybody to stay in with him. They even had two guys fighting at, at once, and he would just <laughs> clean these guys up. So uh, the, he asked his trainer, uh, Emil Griffith, uh, asked our coach if we, he could throw Wesley Watson, our heavyweight, and Wesley Watson made it to the Olympics, and he was a badass fighter, you know, big, fast dude, man, I mean, amazing to watch. And so uh, Wesley Watson said, sure, I'll get in there with him. Well, unfortunately, Wesley Watson knocked James Bone Crusher Smith oh, out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, it happened. So that, that put an end to that plan, but uh, – <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, so I just I'm just saying yes. You know, in a real gym, there's always somebody there to uh, make sure you keep your your uh, your, humble. your, hum- your humbleness. And they used to make us uh, spar three weight classes uh, up and three weight classes down. So Ooh, yeah, that can get painful. And, right. and for me, fighting the lo- little guys like Sean, you know, I, I fought at welterweight, but when I had to get in there with these guys, that once you get down to 132, these guys hit you three times before you even knew what happened. <laughs> yeah. like, what the hell is this, man? I was like, fortunately, they didn't hit me so hard that I couldn't take it. It just, right. used to just really pissed me off. <laughs> yeah. That's also what I like about jujitsu is you're not really getting head trauma and um, anyone can do it. Your everyday Mariah, my little girlfriend, she's been doing jujitsu and she's four and zero in her tournaments now. That any any walk of life can do jujitsu, and you're not taking head trauma. And there's not as much ego in jujitsu as there is other like boxing and stuff. Yeah, I'm gonna get Mana into jujitsu when when he's old enough, probably five or six, because he's got so damn much fire in him. I got to figure out how to. That would be awesome. That. Yeah, cool? he, he he needs it. 
I'm curious, can you guys share uh, when there has been times that you found yourself emotionally triggered in sparring or competition, what was your strategy for managing it so you didn't lose composure? Sometimes it's hard. Even if you have a strategy, even if you know I'm not supposed I'm not gonna, I'm not supposed to get mad if I get tapped out. I'm not supposed to get mad if I get cracked. It's the the emotion still arises. Um, that's like what you work on to eventually where it doesn't. And I feel like the as many fights as I've had in the last couple of years, I feel like I'm really getting good at that. Um, just being calm and knowing that the calmer I am and the less emotion I have, the better I'm going to perform. So there's no point in me getting angry or so like. Or and just getting tapped out every day. It's just uh, you learn to deal with it. Yeah, for me, it's just it it happens in training, especially you're sparring someone and you're supposed to be sparring light, and they crack you, and then I get a smile on my face. I'm like, all right, motherfucker, if we're gonna go like that, we're gonna go like that. But definitely having those little those small practices to be able to bring yourself back in the moment take a big belly breath and feel gravity bringing you down and just bringing you back right into the present moment having those tools has been just so huge not just in fighting but in everything yeah that's i think for me you know when i was fighting it was just like you said tim it was when we were supposed to be doing technique work or something and all of a sudden someone just clocks you like trying to be a smart ass and knock you out just to be a superhero or something and i would just smile and say okay love's a boomerang baby <laughs> i love the boomerang you want to play that game i i, I can do that too mm-hmm. yeah exactly yeah so it's lovely to hear i love how uh, mature you guys have become because you know for young guys you're really you're really handling these things at a you know in a in a very beautiful zen way so congratulations on your development there Thank yeah, you. well, we're super thankful to have someone like you to look up to. And even when you told us at the at the Heaven House saying you guys have a – I just have this feeling that you guys have such a – That we're going to be something to help 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 spread the positivity and spread the spread what we're learning with a, with a good amount of people because I'm trying to really build that platform for that reason. And that's been the motivation to keep fighting and keep just building our names bigger and bigger because then we'll just be able to help that many more people. Hi, this is Paul Check, and I am super excited to share an amazing line of super nutritional products that I found called Organifi, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I. If you go to Organifi.com and check out their product line, they have a wide variety of excellent products, and unlike any food-based product company that's ever showed interest in sponsoring the Czech Institute or any of my courses or products or videos or any of the projects I've done, that stated they were organic. When I asked them for their organic certification, I never got them. I have been through this before. When I contacted Organifi and asked to see their documentation that they were legitimately using organic source materials, very quickly I got an email with 14 organic certifications showing that their source materials are certified organic. Then I put the products to the test with my family and on my own body, and I must say I was very impressed. They have a wide variety. They have green juice, red juice. They have a product called Gold that aids with sleep, muscle aches and pains, and joint stiffness. It helps bolster your immunity. It's awesome. One of my favorites is called Pure, and it's got lion's mane. It's 
Bobab infused, it's great for gut health, brain performance. Lion's mane is excellent for stimulating neurogenesis. I love to give it to my son, Mana. Another one that's fantastic is Immunity, which is an organic superfood product, and it supports your immune system. It tastes fantastic. I like to put these right in some water and mix them in and drink them or put them into tea. They have a variety of great stuff like green juices, red juice. They have organified gold. It aids with restless sleep, muscle aches and pain, stiff joints, bolsters your immunity. You'll wake up feeling rejuvenated if you have that in the evening. They have awesome protein powders. Angie's about to give birth to our second child, and she's been really enjoying their protein powder. Their products are safe for pregnant mothers. I'm a very picky guy, and I'm hard to impress when it comes to food products, but these guys really got me. I love the products. If you are ready to try some amazing products that can really make your life more efficient, if you don't have time to do a lot of cooking, you're a busy executive, or you're a mother, and you've got lots going on, and you need something to give your kids now and then that's legitimately nutritious, good for them, and organic, which means clean and high in nutrients, you can't go wrong with Organifi. Go to Organifi, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com, and when you're checking out, put in check 20s, lowercase c, lowercase h, lowercase e, lowercase k, 20, and you will get a 20% off at checkout, and you will be amazed, just like I was. Can't wait to hear your feedback. Check them out, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com. When you're checking out, use the code C-H-E-K-20 for a 20% discount and prepare to be nourished, enlivened, and amazed. I'd love to hear your feedback. And I'd love to help you too. Uh, you know, having having that inspiration under your hat just inspires me. Just like I just shared that technique with using art, I have a whole arsenal of things I use and teach. And so... You know, we're going to get into some issues here coming up where that's going to be more and more of an issue. But I, I would love any way I can, you know, just you guys talking to me, reaching out to me or coming and hanging out with me. I'll throw as much on the table because I'm all about I really think our young culture needs some. Some good guidance and uh, what a great motive to give it to them, because if you learn how to make martial arts a spiritual practice and see it as training for life, then it actually becomes a temple of well-being, not, you know, ego bolstering. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So listen, having plenty of uh, experience in boxing and martial arts myself, I've noticed a tendency for fighters to resort to violence when challenged in relationships with family members, spouses, children, or people in general. I'm wondering what you guys have observed uh, in your own experience with this regard, in this regard. I feel like those kind of people would be doing that without, without fighting. That's just their own, their own issues that they need to deal with. Cause uh, I definitely I, like everyone I know at the gym, everyone that, that I train with, I've never met anyone that I've 
felt like or violent outside of fighting. Usually everyone's pretty cool, but I feel like if they are like that, it's it's issues that have brought up before they even started fighting or how they were raised or why they're they're like that for a reason. I don't think it's it's fighting. I think I think fighting probably helps them deal with it in a way, but probably not enough. Well, I think they're like that for the reasons we're going to get into in the next question. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Oh, go ahead. I'd love to hear what you want to say, Tim. Yeah, the probably just my relationships at home. All the smart people I've been like reading about um, always say just your relationship at home are some of the most important things in your life. So with Mariah, I truly try to treat her as my best friend. Try to keep the communication as open as possible she wants me to be as open as possible and be able to tell her about my true self and same for her and just making her making sure she's she's happy and seeing things from her point of view and just really making sure that relationship's number one yeah that's critical and you know that that just that statement alone I hope every person that's in any kind of combat of sport of any type hears that right there because that's really missing. Um, you know, when I was the trainer of the Army boxing team, we had a couple of occasions where the guys, we'd finish a tournament, might not have a tournament coming up for a few months, and a bunch of the fighters would go to the bar, get drunk, and then beat the shit out of all sorts of people. And the next thing you know, the cops would show up at the gym looking for so-and-so and and we'd have to try to protect them so they didn't get arrested. Because if you're a soldier and you get arrested for that, you get get what's called double jeopardy. The military court will give you its own share for being disrespectful to the military. So you can get – once you get out of jail in the the civilian jail, you get to go to a military jail. Damn. No fun. Yeah, so we I definitely have witnessed when ath- when fighters get to if they haven't grown their maturity and they get a, a little bit too cocky, they go in and and you know, or maybe someone got beat in the tournament so they go to the bar, get drunk and they have to kind of prove to themselves they're a tough guy. The next thing you know, there's, you know, people that are badly hurt cuz they don't know how to fight and they just, you know, get drunk and right. start acting stupid. Yeah. Um you know, I, I've I've noticed that just in my observation, not so much the professional fighters, but in a lot of the people that go to the MMA gyms and boxing gyms and kind of walk around the, the, the weightlifting gyms and think they're tough guys, that there's a real lack of mental, emotional, and spiritual development in most forms of martial arts and combat arts today. What do you guys feel that the uh, solution for this lack of uh, mental, emotional, or spiritual development is in the fight game. In the fight game, I think it's a lot of. I, I truly think of a lot of it even comes from just diet and your shitty food. For people, book a fight six, seven, eight weeks out of their fight, and they eat everything perfect. Um, they're on the strict diet, and then as soon as the fight ends, they just eat shit. They just put shit in their body. Um, they start sleeping like shit and everything goes to shit. And it's this constant cycle of booking a fight, eating clean, and then just treating your body terrible. Booking a fight, eating clean, and then just treating your body terrible. That's what, that's what I see anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. And uh, I've actually, you know, as the trainer, we used to weigh guys coming in 
for every workout and then on the way out. So there's a lot of weighing going on. And uh, I remember after a tournament, a buddy of mine, he gained 15 pounds in one night. He went and ate like three or four banana splits, three pizzas, and probably <laughs> drank about 12 bottles of beer. And I weighed him the next day. He was 15 pounds heavier. He got stretch marks on his chest and his abdomen within 24 hours, man, because he was so waterlogged. And it was unbelievable. And I used to see this heavy, heavy yo-yo dieting. And, and, you know, when I became the trainer of the Army boxing team, guys were taking spoons of honey in the corners between rounds and just eating crap and going to McDonald's for dinner. And I'm like, what in the hell are you guys doing? I mean, and this is a long time ago. I was 24 at the time. So I'm like, I'll be 58 next month. And people were doing this sort of antiquated crap. And you're right. It clogs up their livers. And whenever the liver gets backed up, the emotional reaction to that is anger. So when a person's liver gets loaded up, the emotion of anger, which moves on the same frequency chakra uh, channel, which is the third chakra, gets trapped in the liver. So that starts, you know, literally vibrating inside of people and they start becoming very out of hand in, in their self-management and relationships. And uh, I've also you know, having worked with so many fighters, seeing that the violence can go home too. And the next thing you know, wives are getting slapped around, kids are getting slapped around like rag dolls. And I find that, you know, hard to witness. But, uh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I just think you guys are so important that the younger people coming up can really learn a lot about this. And that's why I like sharing how you guys handle your emotions, handle your relationships, because it's so critical because one of the things that I see that's missing in general is the spiritual element of martial arts or boxing or combat of sports. And that really boils down to just lack of effective coaching. Yeah. It's crazy to me that we're not taught how to deal with our emotions or kind of our spirituality or anything in, in public schools, how it's like something you have to go and find on your own, how, um, I feel like that that would change so much if we had like a good a good solid class with how to how to deal with emotions and then learning about nutrition. I feel like the world could really, or at least the U.S. could really benefit benefit from that in, in a way well, more amounts than they could even imagine. Yeah, well, I can help you with both. There's a book called How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy. Yeah, by exactly. It, it, it'll give you some tips on all aspects of your life. Sure. But there's another really good book I'd love to share with you guys and everybody else. It's called Nonviolent Communication, The Basics as I Know and Use Them by Wayland Myers, PhD. And this is the most awesome little pocket book. It's like a quarter page size. You can put it right in your pocket and it gives you the key basics and key principles of nonviolent communication. And I think it should be exactly the book that we're taught starting in elementary school. It's really, if, if I if I had to say what is one of the most valuable books in my whole library, it's this beautiful little book. I think you guys will be blown away by how good it is. Hell yeah, we'll yeah, check it out. Awesome. It, I, it, I also like, I couldn't imagine if someone, they had like HLC1 in schools and stuff because that that thing can just put you on the right path i feel like for anyone 
There's that why well, they don't have it because it'll put you on the right path, and they don't yeah. want us on the. Who knows? Exactly. Well, let's uh, let's let's uh, let let me do a commission deal with you and make it available to your members in your gym. Oh damn, that'd be awesome! That'd be awesome. Yeah, oh, yeah. Can, you can just set up a little uh, system where you can sell it right in the gym, and we'll make it so it works good for everybody, and and you can start that wave, baby. Hell let's yes. do it. You know, one of the things that I observed, I won't tell you the whole story just because it'll take a long time, but I had a an incident where I uh, I detached a guy's retina in a fight, and it, it basically put me into a spiritual crisis. This guy was, <laughs> put it mildly, he was about to knock me out, and uh, that's not a position I had been in very often, unless I was fighting someone that was two weight classes up, because I'm one of these guys that can take a pretty damn good punch. I grew up getting beat up by my brother and getting hit in the head with fire pokers and shovels and everything else. So I learned how to stay in the game and mm-hmm. keep my head on. But this guy, I, I, I pretty much realized he was going to take me out and, and something very primal rose up in me. And, and I ended up knocking him out quite bad and detaching his retina, which at that time put him out of his boxing career. And I went into the change room and even though i won i won the, i became the champion of the 82nd airborne division and that's what was the tournament at the time and uh i went in the change room and i, I just had this huge emotional uh kind of a breakdown i just i just was crying and i i just i felt i felt uh deep deep sadness and and the reason was is i realized that my fear and my need to prove to myself that I could take people out if I needed to was was a byproduct of being raised with a father that was very physically violent and dangerous. And so when I got back to the gym, I I had a, a, a curiosity. And when we all got together, we would we start our training on a big giant uh, Olympic sized wrestling mat, and we would all sit around the circle, and the coaches would make their announcements or whatever. And I just said, I have a question for all of you. How many of you are fighters because your father scared the shit out of you and you felt like you needed to learn to fight to protect yourself or protect your family from your dad? There was 30 fighters on the team. Guess how many hands went up? All 30. 30. 28. Damn. Damn. So my question is for each of you, how is your relationship with your father when you were a kid? Do you, how much of it do you, your, your urge to, learn to protect yourself might have come from that fear. Yeah, my relationship with my father, I, I'm, I'm lucky. My dad grew up on a reservation with no parents, joined the, the traveling carnival at 14 years old, and through his high school and developing years, traveled with the carnival, met my mom. She worked at the old-time photo booth on the carnival, got my mom pregnant at 16, and that's when they both found the Jehovah's Witness religion. So mm-hmm. I partly am thankful for it because it put my dad on a, a better path and it yeah. made him raise his kids with good morals that he didn't have. He didn't learn from his parents. He didn't learn from anyone else, but he learned the morals from the religion. And I, I actually, my dad raised me very good. He was super friendly. There was always food on the table, never physically abused, never nothing like that. So I'm very, very thankful because I do see people how much 
that parenting affects their whole fucking life, whether it's subconscious or they know it. It's just super crazy. Yeah. How about you, Sean? Yeah, I feel like it's, I always try to, I always get random like memories, like pretty vivid memories of when I was little, like whether it was playing outside or screaming at my brothers or whatever. But for the, like, I remember, I think my dad was a super good dad to me. Uh, we got along really well. Um, once I started getting into like high school, even middle school, high school, I'd get in trouble at school, just being like a class clown, throwing something at someone, just being like that kind of kid. I'd get in trouble at school. My dad would get so mad where I just like, I could just tell, like, I I didn't want to be around him because I know he was mad. He never hit me. He never beat me. He was never violent, but I, he was, he scared me when he was that mad. And, uh, he was a cop when I was, um, he was a cop, so I didn't really see it from his perspective. He was in his mind like, "Oh no, the cops' kids getting in trouble." Like it looked made yeah. it made him look really bad. I never saw that until until I moved to Arizona and kind of reflected on on that. But uh, for the most part, I, I, he was always we'd play outside, play catch with the football. He would, he was uh, we had I had two other brothers and a sister, so I think we we all were treated pretty well for my dad. Um, so yeah, do you guys? Have you uh, had? Have you been aware of this or paid attention to this in other fighters? Um, I mean um, their their relationship with their father, the pain and the need to defend themselves, thus the journey into combat sports or martial arts or boxing or what have you. I, I'm sh- I'm sure I don't talk to many fi- fighters about their upbringing, but a lot of the people. It I feel like it's different all over the board. Some people are truly into com- just competing and testing themselves but definitely i think a lot of how they were raised has a lot to do with it yeah yeah you know of the males and the females participating in the fight game uh what do you feel is the most common theme driving them to train or compete so if you just take males and females in general and you looked at all the people going to mma gyms taking karate lessons what have you what do you think is the prime driver to go get that training um just it's another way of for them to they might just really enjoy the lifestyle like i don't have to go to work and i can i can fight and i can be i can get noticed because like a lot of girls that fight are usually for the most part pretty cute and they're like okay i'm pretty cute and i can fight and that's that's all you like in the women's division right now it's not super 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 stacked so if you're pretty cute and you can throw and you're decent you can make a name for yourself out there right now so i think that's why a lot of girls kind of get into it but also just the love love the competition i think a, yeah. a lot of people also get into it just because they are insecure and they want to be looked at as a fighter and they want people to respect them they want to get respect from people and they they think that that it's cool to be a fighter i think a lot of people fight for the wrong reasons yeah that's what i'm driving at i'm wondering what what you think those reasons are <laughs> yeah for the uh, to be cool in other people's eyes, I think, to be looked yeah. at, to be get some respect from other people. Yeah. See, I grew up on in a, a small town on Vancouver Island that was a logging town. And there's, you know, loggers are notorious, notoriously kind of rough customers, drinking a lot, doing a lot of cocaine and drugs. And, and you know, there's, there's regularly bar brawls and people getting the shit beat out of each other in the streets and so I think from, you know, growing up in that environment, all of us kids, and even when you got into high school, there was a whole bunch of people waiting to just beat the hell out of you. They called it the initiation. 
And so being raised in that environment, I saw a lot of the guys I was in martial arts with were, were basically just doing what they thought they had to do to kind of keep themselves safe in that crazy ass environment. And I think you see a lot of that in mining towns and places where there's financial stress, low income, and parents are struggling. And, and, you know, you start seeing that emotional pressure, that survival pressure starts turning into violence in the home and in the streets. And then people just start feeling unsafe. And it really is sort of a melting pot for um, getting into martial arts or boxing and just trying to create some safety and security. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. We're the gym we train at in Phoenix, the MMA lab. It's a, it's a very elite gym. So there's a lot of guys in, in the UFC and very high level fighters. And then at my gym, it's more of a jujitsu gym. So it's kind of your everyday chiropractors, mm-hmm. doctors coming in and just training the martial art to get better. So we don't see a lot of those mid-level MMA gyms or those low-level MMA gyms where there's people there's truly a lot of problem people going yeah. into those. Yeah. yeah, well, I'm I'm glad you guys have that. But, you know, there's so, you know, if you took all the people in the world that are going to boxing or some kind of martial arts training, it would be a very big number. So there's strata of consciousness, like in anything, right? There's, there's uh, beginner pilots and then there's fighter pilots. There's beginner drivers and there's uh, top drivers in the world but the the majority of the fight game uh, the fight kind of arena i would say if you looked at it from a worldwide perspective is largely in my experience is composed of people that are afraid and so they're trying to nourish that sense of fear in themselves with uh some sense that they have the skills and the abilities to protect themselves which I think it's fantastic. I think it's just when, you know, when you have ego problems or you got more testosterone than brains, it, it <laughs> turns out it turns out to be something that ultimately damages the entire um, philosophy and the arena of martial arts because it only takes you know one idiot to, you know, give people a bad impression, make it make it all seem bad. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. What are some of the common personal, professional, and spiritual challenges that you feel fighters are, are uh, using uh, training and competition to avoid? In other words, uh, what are some of the areas in their lives that they're not able to effectively deal with and they're somehow medicating it or uh, nourishing it, if you will, through uh, martial arts or boxing? Probably communication. They just not not having not having their skill to communicate so they get this anger built up inside them or they get this feeling inside of them and you know they they take it out that way yeah that's that's i i think that's a very uh, astute observation sean well thanks yeah any comments tim yeah i think sean pretty much hit it on the head pretty good I feel like pretty yeah. much every, everything they get, they figure they're jealous of certain. I don't know. It's hard. That's a good question, though. Yeah, I think I think part of the challenge with a question like that, this is sort of a paradox. You guys are both so far evolved in in so many ways that it's hard for you to really associate with people that are at that level because it, like your your mind is. It's kind of like. Um, you know, it'd be like asking uh, the best race car driver in the world, what do you think is the average problem that 
uh, drivers have on the street. <laughs> you, you'd <laughs> yeah. be like, uh, I don't know. You can, he'd probably tell you to go ask a cop, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And a lot of, like I said, a lot of us researching about all that mentality stuff came from all my injuries, all the things that on paper are really bad, unlucky things that happened, but they led me to be able to learn about all this stuff. That's actually important. Shit grows in a flower. I mean, flowers grow. Yeah, shit. Baby. yeah, <laughs> flowers grow. Shit, shit might grow in flowers uh, because you know uh, they they absorb the nutrients through the soil. So it, it actually they do. <laughs> The, the the shit turns into flowers. <laughs> there you go. That's what I meant. <laughs> yeah, I know you did. Uh, All right. So uh, my next question is kind of an interesting one. Love to see how you guys tackle this. Fighting sports are super masculine in nature. Um, I'm wondering where do you guys feel the feminine express of your expression of yourself fits into your fight game and your personal lives? That is that is a good question. Um, I feel like the feminine. Um. I never really felt like super masculine and fighting until I started fighting. Then I was kind of feeling like, I feel like I was always kind of a sensitive kid, always kind of um, super loving with my mom. And I feel like I've been always in all my relationships with, with, uh, with all my girlfriends and stuff. I've, I've felt a super like, um, I never felt like masculine. Like I never felt a, I don't know. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm trying to explain it, but I always felt like um, feminine to, in the in the relationships. Right. Yeah. 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 For me, probably. How does the feminine come out? I don't know. Being the one that's at home, Mariah's at work, and I'm at home, and I don't mind cooking the meals and fixing everything, and being more of a gatherer than a hunter. <laughs> Clean at home. Oh, right on. Yeah. yeah. That's good. Yeah. Well. Totally. I think I can I can sort of help you guys a little bit here. Are you open for a little uh, Paul check coaching? Hundred percent. I think you're going to find this pretty funny when I teach you this. Let's hear it. So, if the masculine is is Yang in Taoist philosophy or Chinese philosophy, so that's an expression. So let's just take an exercise. If you're doing a squat. You start with the bar in the high position. You pick the bar out of the rack. When you're lowering down, that's feminine. If you're landing from a jump, that's the receptive. The feminine is more empty than the male. She's got a vagina. We have a penis. Our penis projects out of us. So a projection is masculine. If you take a whiteboard and put a black dot on it, it looks like it's projecting off the board, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. So some would call that masculine or any, if you start writing on a piece of blank paper, everything you're doing on that paper is masculine relative to the emptiness of the page. Hmm. So if you're throwing a punch or a kick, the projection of the arm or the leg is the masculine component, but your recovery or your return of that arm or leg is the feminine component. If someone's aggressing you, how you receive them, and there's where your jujitsu comes in. If you act more water-like and receptive, then you can use their force against them or you can effectively absorb it. Another example would be, have you ever had someone throw a baseball at you really fast and you didn't let your hand drop back a bit when you caught the ball and it hurt your hand like hell? Yeah. yeah. So that's too much masculine. But if you receive the ball with a little feminine receptivity, then you can absorb the shock of the ball and it's, it's not uncomfortable at all. 
So in athletics, whenever you're projecting your force, that's the masculine expression, or when you're jumping or if you're pushing a weight, that's masculine, but lowering a weight or landing from a jump or slipping a punch, there's the feminine expression. So now with that preface, can you see that if a fighter's too masculine, that they project too much and they're too brittle on the receptive end, and that's how ribs get broken. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Good have to have a good equal balance. I feel like I'm pretty good about that. And and I yeah. I also think when after when we go to the gym, we're super fighting and aggressive and trying to win and all this. So then when I come home it's my time to really just shut shut it off and shut off all the I have to win and come home and just I, you want to be nice. I don't want to let out all that anger that I guess that I let out at practice. And I think people with tempers and that kind of stuff, I think it really shows that I think it's a weakness. Right. A real weakness. Yes. Yeah. And, and that's, that goes right back to the masculine kind of um, imbalance in our culture. Like we were talking about earlier, you can't hug or kiss a guy in our culture because that's too much feminine expression for the mindset of the culture, but it's unhealthy and in athletic training, if you're too masculine, then you're 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 going to be a, a, a an exerciseaholic. Uh, you're going to burn yourself out. If you're too masculine in a ring, then you're too brittle, and you're too uh, you're like a, a bull in a china shop. You're too predictable, right. right? You're so a tip I would give you guys. Not that I should be coaching the best fighters in the world, but I do have some experience coaching the best fighters in the world. <laughs> Um, we'll take it. You know, use this concept. Try any training exercise or drill for, you know, like a basic punching drill or kicking drill and say, okay, let's express fire. And then do the drill with the idea of fire or heat or intensity. And then say, okay, now let's take the same exact drill and express it as water. And if you just really think about that. Remember, Lao Tzu tells you in the Tao Te Ching, the water will always wear away the stone. No matter how hard the stone is, water will wear it out. That's so good. if you, yeah, if you just use that concept in your training and say, okay, let's work on our fire, but now let's counterbalance that with equal awareness of water. And so that becomes sort of a deep inner process that you've got to go through because most athletes don't really have a water concept in them it's all fire can you perceive that yeah, yeah I, totally, I totally can i see that thinking about like people at gyms totally yeah yeah and so you see there's jujitsu again if you're too brittle you're in trouble i, I see jujitsu as probably one of the most water-like martial arts there is out there absolutely definitely so if you just play with that concept um a good example have you ever thrown a jab and 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 uh overextended your elbow and hurt your elbow yes hundreds of times <laughs> that's that's too much masculine energy right there that makes sense so there there you have a live experience of excess yang yeah that makes sense and you you're you're receptive component was too late so you actually can hyperextend your elbow and it hurts like shit doesn't it <laughs> oh, yeah. it makes sense why girls advance so much quicker than guys in jiu-jitsu because 
girls aren't going in there using their muscle and using their strength and using their, they're thinking about the techniques and kind of having fun. So I, what I see is girls coming in and they progress a lot quicker than the guys. Yeah, I see that. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'll give you another example of that. When I was a, uh, a soldier, it just so happened that we showed up to the shooting range one day right when the females showed up. And, you know, in basic training, they separate males and females very intensely. And the first thing our drill sergeant said is, if you guys let these women outshoot you, you're all going to really wish you hadn't. But I'm going to warn you. He said, they're probably going to easily outshoot you. <laughs> and he, he said, how many of you have experience firing weapons? prior to getting in the military and about 70% of the hands went up. He goes, you guys all think you're fucking John Wayne. And so one of the points that he made, and it's very true and it'll bring this masculine feminine out. Have you, have you guys got any experience shooting pistols or rifles? Very, very, very little. Few. Yeah. Very little. Yeah. We're gatherers. Well, <laughs> if you're, if, yeah, if you're in a target range, for example, if you squeeze the trigger too hard, that's enough to, create a kinetic energy that will knock the pistol or the rifle off the bullseye. Gee. Just the, just the rapid action of the fingers. So when you, to, to be an expert shot, you have to learn to gently squeeze the trigger. So there's the feminine of it. Oh, um, that's cool. So what happens is, is sure enough, these girls outshot our platoon quite badly because they'd never had any experience using a weapon before. And so they learned how to do it right the first time. That's now, fortunately, fortunately for me, I, I, I uh, my father is a an incredibly good shot. I mean, I've never seen anybody that can outshoot my dad. This guy can shoot the balls off a fly at a hundred fucking meters. But um, so I learned you know, as a kid, just you know, you gotta you gotta manage your breathing, which is also masculine and feminine, and you gotta be gentle with the trigger. So there, you can see a clear expression of the masculine and feminine and uh, point being I shot expert level. So I didn't have to walk away from the firing range feeling like I got beat by a girl or, or at that age, you know, I was in my twenties. That would have really pissed me off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's good. I, I, go ahead. Charlie. I was going to say, it's weird. Like seeing some guys come in from jujitsu that I'd been taught that I've been doing jujitsu for a while. So they're pretty good, but they were never taught the basics. So they weren't, they didn't, uh, they're just not as good as someone who's just starting learning all the basics and they've been doing jiu-jitsu a lot less time. Just um, missing the fundamentals. Just missing the fundamentals of, of learning anything. Yeah. And, and they're usually jerky and blocky and that's masculine. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So there's some techniques to work with. I think you'll find it fun just working, even on the heavy bag, go fire and, and, pound the fuck out of the heavy bag and, you know, try to like knock it off the chain, but then switch to water. And then what you do is you work around the bag, you swing the bag, you use it as though it was a living person and you try to find ways to slip in as the bag's moving and make your contact with the bag. But, you know, when you're a skilled fighter, sometimes your punches aren't to disable, they're to um, reorient the person to get them in the position you want them in exactly. so you can hit them the other hand. So there you see you're using a water approach 
And if they react to it with too much fire, then they just throw themselves off balance. And the next thing you know, they're <laughs> counting out. <laughs> I'll try the I'll try the fire and water tonight when I'm having sex with Danny. I'll give it a go. Well, there, that's a great <laughs> idea. That's a great idea. In fact, many men are just too fiery in, in the bed yeah. and, and, and they don't know how to switch to water. And I say, look, you don't do sex to a woman. You let her lead you. It's a game of leading and following. It's a game of like Ouija. You just have to kind of empty yourself and follow her lead. But most guys are so like on the hunt all the time. It's wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. And next thing you know, her girl's fantasizing about the, the five other guys she needs just to get to an orgasm. Exactly. That makes sense. I agree. Yeah. Um, many fighters get out of the game because they can't deal with losing. I'm wondering what you two feel the effect of sub uh, shifting our psychology as athletes from one of winners and losers to winners and learners would be. In other words, if we just didn't, have this concept that you're a loser and we said okay celebrate the guy that beat you or the woman that beat you and know that they just gave you a very valuable lesson and see yourself as a learner as opposed to a loser how, how do you think that would affect the psychology of athletes that that's a good perspective to look at it um i feel like it's just a fighting when you when another man wins or beats you it's just hard in the moment to look at it as like, okay, I want to learn something from this rather than feeling like, fuck, I just lost in front of millions of people. But I, I, I'm, I'm lucky enough. I haven't lost in a long time, but I do know I'm, I'm smart enough to know that there's a very good chance that if I continue to keep fighting for the next 15, 20 years, I'm going to lose. And I think even, I remember you talking about that on uh, your podcast. Um, I forget yes, with who, I did. But the learning, the learning instead of losing I was I, that made me think. I'm like, damn, I'm not I'm not really that scared to lose because I don't really feel like I'm losing. I'm I'm rather learning. So um, I do think that would be obviously the ideal way to look at it. I used to say when people would say to me, "Aren't you afraid of losing a, a match?" Especially when I was boxing, and I would say, "You know what? I train so hard and manage myself with such diligence." that the first person I want to hug and kiss is the guy that can beat me because I know he had to have been better than me and therefore he's my teacher. And I've always held that. I've always known that my my biggest challenge was overcoming myself more so than anybody else. That's good. Yeah, that's really good. And I think with fighting, at a certain level, you know, you can train hard, you can do everything perfect and some random thing can happen and you end up losing. But I think with Sean, he's undefeated and it, it's super important for when people lose, not to let it be demoralizing and start defining yourself like, ah, I'm a loser. I'm a loser. Like you said, redefining losing and taking that loss and look, trying to really dissect it to put your ego out of it, dissect it. Why did I lose? What can I do better? So I don't lose next time. And all these wins that Sean's had, I've, I've always tried to, remind him after he wins say let's pretend we lost let's pretend we lost so we just keep getting hungry on getting better yeah that's great yeah you know you want to you certainly want to celebrate the accomplishment but you also don't want to get to the position where you you think you're you have no reason to improve because that's the day that you meet your master yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely and, and like i said i think a lot a lot of people when they lose they start defining themselves and then they start 
it demoralizes them and they start losing their confidence, that confidence that got them there in the first place. And it, I think it's a really bad thing for some people if they don't have the right mindset about it. Yeah. So there's one you can write on the board in your gym. There are no losers here, only learners. Perfect. Perfect. Going up. Awesome. You can sign it. Love and cheap. I'll check. Hell yeah. There's my ego getting involved. No, we love love it. Uh, I'd love it if each of you could share an example uh, of a time when you felt mentally or emotionally defeated and were eventually able to convert that into a positive learning experience that ultimately grew you as a person, an athlete, or a fighter, if if that's a clear question for you. Yeah, like just going through all... The biggest, the biggest thing I feel like that has happened was that last back in October when I failed that test, and I, um, I feel like I learned a lot from it because it just happened again, and I, I took it a different way. But I feel like uh, um, going through that made me able to see like I can grow in other ways. I can go to the gym with where Tim teaches and help teach other people. I can uh, work on improving the podcast, the Patreon, all these other things I'm doing. Um, so I feel like it going through that really helped uh, kind of make me see that there, I can do other things. Yeah. Anything for you, Tim? Yeah. A huge one for me is just, I was on the ultimate fighter and I ended up losing that fight. I had a torn bicep going in. I lost the fight, but the UFC president said, Tim, we love you. Like we like your style. Win three in a row and uh, we'll bring you back. So I won three in a row. They didn't bring me back quite yet so I was like well I might as well get another win so I booked a fight in my hometown against a Canadian who had a decent record a good striker but I thought I was going to run through him in my hometown be my fourth win after I get that win I go into the UFC and I go into that fight and the first fight or first punch of the fight he severely broke my jaw and I I still didn't want to just give up so at that first round I was still trying to finish him Went into the second round, still trying to finish him. Um, the surgeon wasn't there that night, so he couldn't fix my jaw right away. So I had to drive to a whole other city and have a couple days with my just jaw hanging off my face. And that and, and that one losing that in my home in my hometown in front of everyone that just like it really like hurt for a while. And then having my mouth wired shut so tight that it felt like my ears were going to explode. I had to find a way to just cope with that, and then meditate and then start to retool the Titans and start to just, I couldn't work out cause I couldn't open my mouth to breathe. So I really had to read and like go deep inside myself. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Cause if I won that fight, who knows what would happen? I wouldn't be the path, be on the path I'm on. And I'm super, super thankful for it. Yeah. You met the being that I call the pain teacher. I tell people when the pain teacher shows up in your life, it's best to listen. Be careful about drugging it. Be careful about approaching it with anger, frustration, resent, poor me, victim behavior. When pain shows up in your life, it's because there's something that you're meant to learn. And if you learn it, it will not only greatly enhance your love, life, but it'll enhance the lives of all the people you'll ever touch. Yeah, and I don't, maybe you would know, I don't know where that, that comes from. Because I, I could, I, I knew I had two paths. I knew I could sit there and really feel sorry for myself and just maybe go into a depression and take all the oxycodone that the doctor gave me. But I, did, I didn't do that. 
and I don't know really where that came where that came from. That's called your soul. That's that's called the the highest potential or the highest self working through you. Just most people are uh, too trapped in poor me or too identified in. In other words, if if you were overly identified with being the person that you had projected yourself to be, if I win this fight, I'll get on the ultimate fighter again and everything will work out just the way I want it to. But sometimes the soul takes us into an impossibility wall so that we can learn the lessons we have to learn that are ultimately essential for us to fulfill our life mission and fulfill our soul contracts. And so, you know, 10 years from now, if you look back, at how your life was transformed by that broken jaw and how it changed you as a person and changed you as a coach and all the awareness it gave you to pass on to other athletes, you'll realize that the pain teacher showed up to give you exactly the tools that you needed to get in order to really fulfill yourself and your life mission and your soul contracts. But if you hadn't have taken the lesson, you can look into the crystal ball and say, well, where would I be if I took all the drugs and just sunk into my poor me syndrome? Well, I bet you wouldn't be sitting on, on right here right now. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. It's fucking crazy. So that works right into our next question. What is spirituality to each of you, and how do you feel being a confederate competitive fighter expresses your spirituality? Huh, let me think. I got to think about that for a sec. What is spirituality? Um, what's the, what's the definition of spirituality? What? Well, there's a lot of definitions, but the one that I teach my students is very simple. And because of that, it's very profound. Spirituality means to connect to a greater whole. Connect to a greater whole. I feel like I try, so, try to do that every time I kind of meditate. I feel like that's kind of my goal is to connect to connect to the earth just be one so i feel like every like every night when i sit in my hot tub or my cold plunge or every morning when i wake up i go outside and meditate i try to i, I feel like that's me kind of growing my spirituality and that's going to kind of help me interact throughout the day um that's beautiful yeah for for me probably after a few heavy mushroom <laughs> mushroom trips that i was like man I have the opportunity. There's a lot of people who look up to me. I have the much more opportunity to help these other people grow. And whether it's jujitsu or eating healthy or mindset, I have an opportunity to have way more of an impact being a coach than I would of being a, a fighter. Yeah. I'd win some fights, right. maybe make a little bit money, but I wouldn't have the impact that I have. I wouldn't be able to, give the impact that I'm doing now, I right. guess. I think, yeah, for both of us, we kind of started doing mushrooms around the same time. And I feel like we both kind of saw like, damn, like it's not like we're, I feel like when you do mushrooms, you really realize you're connected to the earth. Yeah. So I feel like both of us kind of doing mushrooms and we've doing, we've done, I don't know if we've done them together, but just doing them around the same time. We kind of feel like it kind of put us both in the same mindset of, of like wanting what's to help. What's important, what's truly important and what truly makes you happy. That's spirituality oh, there right go. there. It's, it's uh, you know, if you, for example, if you look at the conversation we just had about your jaw, Tim, and all the lessons you learned, wouldn't you say that that's had a significant impact on how you relate to others as a coach? Uh, for sure. 
Oh, for sure. There's spirituality. See, sure. it's impacted how you relate to others. So your sphere of influence is expanding. You take the mushrooms and you realize you're deeply connected to and a part of and a beautiful expression of the earth. But the earth couldn't be what it is without the sun. And the sun couldn't be what it is without the galaxy. And the galaxy couldn't be what it is without the universe. And the universe couldn't be what it is without that which is behind it. It's beyond our ability to know. So I just define a progressively greater spirituality. So you, if you look at it from a stage of consciousness, first we're I-centered. It's all about me. Mommy, mommy. I want this. I want that. That's called egocentric. Then we grow up, we mature, and we realize we can't really accomplish anything meaningful in life without other people. So then we become we-centric. Then we reach the point where we realize in some strange, mysterious, but beautiful way, we all need each other. We all need the earth. We all have to share the resources, the water, the earth, the air. If you poison the uh, water with a nuclear spill in Japan, it affects everybody in the world. It goes right through the hydrological cycle. If you poison uh, uh, the ocean, it poisons all the fish and all the sea life, and we end up eating it, and it affects everybody. But most of the people that run oil companies don't think that way. They're only thinking about their wallets. So their level of spirituality is I-centric, my bottom line, my money. It's just fucking water with fish in it. Who gives a shit? But once you grow out and mushrooms and psychedelics, they, they, as you both know, they connect you to a greater whole. They bring you into a palpable awareness of the fabric of life. So when we live spiritually, we live with an awareness of how our life is supported by and impacts the lives of all other beings, be they the insects in the ground, the guy next door, uh, the person that made the boxing gloves that you're wearing, or the the focus pads that you're using. So if you walk into your gym and say, geez, you know, if it wasn't for the people that made all this equipment living their dream, I couldn't really be enjoying my dream so fully. And then you have a spiritual realization that we all need each other. That's spirituality. Huh, that's good. It's, it's funny, like, uh, when we were talking about mushrooms, I remember I was talking to my dad and his brother, my uncle, um, and Danny and I, we were at dinner and we had already done mushrooms before. And we were like, it was the first couple times we'd done them. We were like excited about them and like wanted to almost tell. I knew my dad was going to be, but we brought it up somehow, like the word mushrooms. And my uncle and my dad were like, oh, don't, I hope you never do those. Your brain will be fried. Like just kind of, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's just weird how they, I don't know if they obviously have never experienced them. Because if they experienced them, they wouldn't be thinking like that. It's, so it's weird how they just Get automatically conditioned. conditioned. Like my mom's the same way, same way about marijuana. She said, you know, she just completely thinks it's the worst thing ever. But it's, it, I feel like those kind of tool, tools, marijuana, mushrooms, help me um, with my spirituality too on a, like a different level of consciousness. Yeah, well, you know, one of the problems with good medicines, whether it be marijuana, mushrooms, ayahuasca, San Pedro, DMT, whatever it is, if it's used as a recreational drug, it's not experienced spiritually, and the outcome is people running around doing LSD at rock concerts and going to movie theaters and video games, uh, arcades, act, end up you know, acting in ways that are very unspiritual, dangerous, scary, driving cars, doing really dumb shit. And you know who has to clean the mess up on that is the cops. So their exposure, unfortunately, for all these 
effective medicines is to the people that are uh, using them very unconsciously, which is really a detriment to the entire um, healing power of the medicines. Because the next thing you know, they're they're vilified as a as as the demon, and people get programmed to believe that because they keep seeing stuff in the news. Some idiot drove his car through the window of a restaurant. And oh, by the way, he was on mushrooms or whatever. Right. So, you know, if if we don't use sacred medicines in a sacred practice, then they bring us to us. We attract our own shadow to us so we can come face to face with what we're projecting into the world. And that's what the police have to deal with. So naturally they're going to have a negative orientation. Yeah. That's a good point. I didn't even think about that. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, now you guys have read my book, how to eat, move and be healthy. And, and I'm sure you must be familiar with my concept of working in. Yes. Um, what is your experience uh, been? Have you tried some of those work and exercises and, and what do you feel the impact of them is? Yeah, we've been try trying different things with working in, waking up, sitting on, going to the bathroom very first thing and just writing down kind of what's, what my thoughts are, what I'm thankful for and what my goals are for the day. And then before bed, having to get comfortable in freezing cold water. 34, yeah, baby. 34 degree water and have to really control my breath and learn to get comfortable in there and learning and all the meditation practices too, trying to um, recognize emotions as they come in and not let them take over. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, I've, I've, yes. I've, I feel like I'm not, I'm trying to write more. I feel like I'm not a very good uh, writer. In, in school, I never, like, I never did my homework. I never wrote. I never really like learned what they were being, what they were teaching me. So I feel like it was, it's kind of hard for me to almost learn some things because I don't, I'm not good at remembering or, or very good at writing them down. So I feel like, but I feel like writing's helped me a lot. Um, and then every morning, um, literally every morning I go outside for 10 minutes and just sit there and try to try to quiet my mind. And, uh, and then like Tim said, we, we both got our cold plunges. So we, we do that every night. And, uh, it's nice because if Tim's doing something that, that he's liking, he'll tell me, Hey dude, this is really helping me or working for me. And then same for me, if I'm something I like a lot, I'll tell him. So we're lucky to have that kind of relationship to where we can help benefit each other. Yeah, so I'll give you a technique that you guys can use a little bit more practically. Not not that, that everything you said is practical, but I'm going to say uh, how to take that working in concept into your uh, fight training, your martial arts training. Take a simple exercise like practicing a one-two punch combination. If you slow that movement down so that as you're throwing the left hand, we'll call it the jab, you're breathing out. And then you draw it back in, in perfect time with your inhalation. And then as you throw the right hand, exhale. And as you draw that right hand back, inhale. Now, if you take any move or combination of moves, that you do in your martial arts and slow them down. So they're totally in timing with your breath and practice doing them with such little effort that your heart rate and your breathing rate does not speed up. You can use those same exact movements to take you into a meditative state, which ultimately will become a flow state. And then what you're doing is you're actually programming 
precision technique while you're bringing your brain, your heart, and your solar plexus into harmony. Because those are three biological oscillators. Those are all three very powerful electromagnetic energy generators. And when those three centers are in harmony with each other, there's no conflict, confusion, or need in the body. So our consciousness begins to expand into our field. And how that shows up as a benefit to you in your actual competition is that it has the same effect of what you would call intuiting. You have a sense of knowing, and somehow you don't know that guy's about to drop his right hand or he's about to uh, come at you with a roundhouse kick. But because you've actually dropped out of the thinking mind and you're in a state of open receptivity, you're actually able to read the energy and information flow at an unconscious level because you're in such a state of harmony that you don't have to orient your consciousness toward yourself because you're in harmony. And when you're in harmony, your consciousness escapes the body and it's as though you have a sixth sense. And that's something that uh, a lot of the great martial arts masters teach is staying right brain and staying in a parasympathetic state because the right brain is the brain of connection. It's what finds and feels all the connections to everything. And it can do it at a pace that's far faster than the conscious mind or the brain or the ego can do. Because if you run things through the left brain, they have to go in sequence. So A squared plus B squared is C squared in the left brain. But if you get yourself into a state of harmony, so your biological oscillators are harmonizing your breath and your body and your movements are coordinated like a beautifully choreographed dance, then you're actually able to perceive the athlete's next move without even having to consciously think about it. And this is really important in sports where the action happens faster than you can consciously think. For example, if you go to a golf uh, driving range or something, or you get a golf club in your hand, have you, do you guys either have you ever swung golf clubs before? Yeah, not very often. <laughs> well, if you go out and try golfing, you'll find that you can be swinging at the ball, and before the club even hits the ball, you already know it's a lousy shot. But because the, t the, the time it takes for the brain to process the information, it, from a time of... From the time you realize, for example, that you, your club is in the wrong position or you're throwing a punch and you realize that you're off balance or something, it takes about 330 milliseconds for the impulse to get through the brain and back down into the body. But from the time you go through the backswing, hit the ball and follow through, you can't, it's about 700 milliseconds. So if you realize you're clubs in the wrong position as you're swinging toward the ball the club goes from the top of the backswing to impact in less than 330 milliseconds so you knew it was a shitty shot or have you ever had the experience of knowing that the move you just did wasn't good and sure enough it got you in trouble but you were moving so quickly you couldn't change it yes yes so so what happens is when you start doing this kind of work in training and you take each of those moves into almost like a Tai Chi. You've seen people doing Tai Chi, how they're moving slow and rhythmically and timing the movements with their breath. What happens is you don't process that information through your conscious mind anymore. It's processed 
technically it would be called unconscious, but in actuality, it's super conscious processing because your body knows what to do before your brain can process the information. So there's a very simple technique that you can do with any fighter just using the most basic drills and say, okay, let's all drop into no mind. And you use techniques that are so simple, there's no thinking required, like throwing a one-two or a, a one-two with a front snap kick or some very basic moves. But if you do a hundred of them and time it to your breathing and totally relax, you'll find yourself entering into a flow state and you'll get the same effect that you'd get with a seated meditation, which is a lot harder for people to do, but it now becomes not only a dynamic meditation, but because your technique is slow and controlled, you're programming your entire motor system to move with precision technique while relaxing the mind. And the outcome is, is that you know what's going to happen before it's happened and you respond before you even knew you were going to respond. Hell yeah, that's gonna be that. We'll definitely play around with that. That's gonna be sweet. Yeah, get a nice bag of smoke in us and just do that for hours. Hell yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And that's one of the beautiful things about you know you get a, a good uh, sativa in you, and it'll open up your creativity. So everyone's different, but if you use a little like hybrid half indica, half sativa, it'll really open your body up. And so you can actually really begin to feel these flow states emerging. You can feel changes in your circulatory system. You can feel all sorts of things happening. And I tell people all the time, the medicines teach you how to feel what's happening in yourself and your connection to the environment. The secret is you don't want to make yourself addicted to using the medicines all the time because they're actually teachers. Once you learn how to move your energy... Then you go out and do it without the marijuana and you find that you can do it beautifully because your body and your and your mind and your emotions have learned. Hell yeah. So next time you're here, I'll, I'll take you guys through uh, some, some nice work in practices like that. And uh, those can be used for any sports. For, for example, with a power lifter, I say, just take an empty bar and do an extended warm-up or put a weight on the bar that's so light that it won't trigger you to breathe faster and do a 60-rep warm-up time to your breath in the deadlift, and you will go into dynamic meditation. And for many people that can't meditate while sitting because their mind is too jumpy, for a guy that likes to do deadlifts, now what you're doing is you're training the motor system to move with perfect form, but you're relaxing the mind and harmonizing the movement with breathing so your whole body becomes entrained and it takes that that movement into a far deeper level of programming in the body that's connected to states of harmony in the mind. And over time, every time you touch a deadlift bar, your body automatically drops into harmony because it says, ah, this is my meditation, as opposed to thinking, oh, i got to lift this heavy weight today. Damn, hell yeah, that's, that's good. We'll have to make a, plan a trip out there soon and do some uh, Tai Chi. That would be that, That's something I really want to do with you. That would be awesome. Love to, love to. We'll plan it. Hey, uh, my next question is about managing your sexual expression. Uh, are you guys familiar with the term Jing in Chinese medicine? No. Well, Jing means your when you your sperm carries your your Jing. Your Jing is sort of like the the most essential element of your life force. So, when a man makes sperm, he uses his Jing. His is essential energy because the body uses the very best resources it has to make your sperm because if it didn't, you'd have 
you know, weak offspring, which would mean the end of the race. But, you know, there's, there's a variety of philosophies. A lot of fighters and a lot of athletes and a lot of coaches believe you should abstain from sex before major competitions because it sucks too much of your jing out of your, your life force. And others believe that you should just shag away. I'm more of a um, shag away kind of guy. <laughs> yeah, I'll bust. I'll okay. bust before I head to the I'll arena. bust in the locker room. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, for, I, like, I, to me, it's just like a – it's like a – I remember hearing that and then thinking about it for a while. I'm like, damn, I wonder if that's true. Like, I wonder if that would be bad. But I, I don't fight out of aggression, or because that's kind of what I heard. If you if you come, you won't if you won't have that aggression feel. But I've never fought out of aggression, so I was like, oh, I guess it doesn't really matter. Well, actually, there's more to it than that. Can I share yes, that with yes, you? Yes, of course. Hell yeah. Have you guys now? You guys both being you know healthy, good looking males with healthy women, have you had the experience of having so much sex that you came like five or six times and found yourself feeling like a wet dish rag for a day or two after it? God, right at about three, I'm feeling like a wet <laughs> dish rag. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I had a, a great experience not too long ago where I, I had a couple chicks, threesome with these two chicks, not one not being Danny, but I came four times and I felt like there was not a chance I was getting a boner for a couple of days. Yeah. Okay, that's the jing. There it is. You've just ex- there's the jing. So now, if you had to climb in the ring and fight after that, and somebody was good enough to push you to the edge of yourself, do you realize that you would be low on vital energy and you open yourself to getting beat because you you turn your you just don't have the core energy in you anymore. That's that's a really good point. Yeah, I never sure. really thought of something like that. So yeah, so that's what. What in in Taoist philosophy, Jing is referring to it's your vital life force energy. That's why Muhammad Ali abstained from sex before fights. By my my last fight, I broke my foot and I had three minutes to fight, and I fought fought like nothing was. Well, I mean, I fought as hard as I could, and I pretty sure I had sex with Danny like the night the night before. Like, but I guess it it wasn't probably like it was probably a quick one, a couple seconds. (laughs) (laughs) Well. So the the reason I asked you about having lots of sex is because I knew it would give you a clear awareness of what it feels like to have a low jing state or a low life force state. Because you see, once you sperm let your sperm go, your body's biological imperative is to plant seeds everywhere. So it invests all of its energy immediately because as far as your body's concerned, it doesn't give a shit if you're the champion of the world or the world's biggest loser but it will invest itself in making more sperm because that's what mother nature designed you to do first and foremost. So the thing is you can't tell your body, Hey, wait a, a couple of days to make sperm because I got to fight tomorrow. Right. That won't, that won't work. So my point in bringing, I was just wondering what your philosophy was on this, but what I would say to you guys both, if you're ever heading for an important tournament, one of the secrets is don't break your routine because that adds stress too. So if you're used to having sex the night before a fight, it might be better to have the sex than to abstain because if abstaining from the sex leaves you feeling too pent up, too wound up, and the sex has a therapeutic effect on you, good. But if you can pleasure her, maybe with oral sex or whatever, so that you don't feel like you got to you know, keep going and coming so much, but just experiment and find out how much of your sperm you can let go of before it actually has an impact on your, your 
core energy and your and your vital performance because if you come three times the night before a major tournament you could end up having a negative experience and not realizing that you left your fight right in that vagina (laughs) (laughs) that's a good point yeah thanks yeah. So each one of us has to experiment with that, but I would say more than one ejaculation and you're doing your opponent a big favor. I'll have to send my next opponent some hot chicks up to the room the night of the fight. <laughs> now that's getting see now you're getting smart. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, I I used to tell people my job as an athlete is to give my opponents maximum opportunity to lose. Fuck yeah. That's exactly right. So sending them a truckload, of, a Winnebago full of hookers and some cocaine, that's, there you go. It's all part of the game. That's taunting. Yep. Mind warfare. Hell yeah. I, I know you guys have studied HLC1 online and, and uh, my book, How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy. Could you share a little bit about how applying those has uh, helped you in your fight training and performance? Yeah, de- definitely just still with the foods that the foods I eat and not being, yeah. being tricked by all the labels. It always trips me out when I have a bag of smoke and go into the grocery store and on how much the packaging, how colorful it is and how they use their words to, to sway you. Um, definitely finding real organic foods. And then we uh, subscribe to the local organic farmers. So once a week we get their, our CSA box from them. Awesome. Thank you for supporting the organic farmers. They really need our help. And so does the planet. Yeah. So we've been trying to share as much of that as possible, share them on our, our, uh, my social medias and stuff. And then drinking our water was another huge one because before we would just go drink RO water, think really nothing of it. So now we've been adding some nice uh, Celtic salt and making sure our water's better. And then, Another huge one is not messing with our circadian rhythms at night and keeping our sleep schedule very normal. And that's helped improve, I think, everything. The, the way my brain works, it makes I, I feel much more creative. And I think with more creativity, then everything will pro- improve. Absolutely. Just so you know, are you familiar with the website findaspring.com? Yeah, you, you told me about that Uh I remember reading about that, and we found one. There's it's one far. about five miles from no, it was, it was far. Excellent. It was pretty far. But yeah, we gotta go check it out. Uh, for me, like, yeah, the, the biggest thing has been the food for me too. Is uh, the biggest thing that sticks out is the farm raised fish. Like the chickens just shit and they eat it, right? The farm raised. Yeah. yeah. That that like I don't know, just like Tim said, going to the grocery store, just seeing all that shit, and and uh, and I feel like that's the biggest reason I was getting injured was all the inflammation, all the shit I was eating and it was just my body and and really switching that around eating organic, eating grass fed, eating the the, the best quality of food we can find is impacted, has impacted and improved everything. Um, it improves my sleep a ton. I don't, I'm not laying in bed, just hurting. I'm, I'm I'm working correctly. And, uh, I try to go to bed and wake up at the same time every night like that's always like a priority to me is okay i'm gonna be in bed at this time and i'm gonna wake up around this time i feel like that my eating i feel like it's just improved so much and then the movement um we get we, we move every day obviously we train every day stretching and just moving but I, um all that put together just is really good 
life changing. Yeah. Absolutely beautiful. Well, I'm really grateful to hear you guys applying some of those techniques. You know, you're familiar with my four doctor model, right? Doctor Happiness, Doctor Diet, Doctor Quiet, Doctor Movement. Yes. Which of the four doctors do each of you find uh, mo- the most challenging to work with in your life? In other words, if you said, "Well, I could improve my life, my health, my performance by enhancing which one of these doctors," where do you feel? your greatest improvement can come? Dr. Happiness, Dr. Diet, Dr. Quiet, or Dr. Movement? Probably Dr. Quiet for me. I'm always I'm, yeah, I'm super stimulated throughout the day, whether I'm uh, I'm super into video games. I play, uh, I, I stream. So I play a lot of Fortnite, which means, you know, I'm staring at the screen, stimulating my brain, getting, just playing that. And then uh, whether I'm watching a Netflix show or watching a podcast, or listening to, I'm super stimulating. So at night when it's, it's time for me to just quiet down, um, that's something I, I, and I do work on that every night I go out. That's when I do my hot tub, my cold plunge. Like that's my quiet time. And I'm trying to really good, really do that. But that's something I, I need to improve on the, the most. And that's something I'm trying to improve on the most. So yeah. Yeah. Well, you, when you're young, it's hard cause you just have a lot of like, you know, go get it energy in you. But when you're a professional fighter like you, then it's very important to really just be honest about where can I enhance myself? Because when you, you know, in order to really get past thinking and to get into that state of spontaneous and intuitive knowing as a fighter, it really requires that we dip into Dr. Quiet and learn to calm our mind. So that that's for, you know, having worked with countless athletes, that's the number one challenge that everybody has. And that's why I'm teaching you guys these simple tactics for like using breathing and movement and keeping it more specific to your game so that it doesn't feel like you have to take time out of your day to just sit and hang out with Dr. Quiet, but getting your sleep cycle dialed in, that's one of the most important things you can do for Dr. Quiet. It doesn't matter how much you meditate. If your sleep cycle's all fucked up, you're just someone that meditates a lot and feels like shit and can't perform. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I feel bad for, there's just always, like you say, there's just so many unaware sick people and now kids coming up, being six, seven-year-olds and having smartphones in their hand, having, All the time. having little computers in their hand, it'd be impossible for those yep. kids to even, even outside playing, mm-hmm. just sit with their sit with themselves for five minutes without anything. Yeah, it's, it's it's weird, and I'm curious to see where these people end up mentally. The kids that are being born right now with all these electronics. Well, I can tell you where they're going to end up. I mean, there's mountains of research out now showing that. One, that they actually um, become very disabled in their ability to actually have relationships with other people. I've actually seen many cases. I was in the airport not too long ago. I think I was flying to Paleo FX. And I I saw something that was mind-blowing. I saw a husband and a wife. They look like husband and wife. They're traveling. They look just like husband and wife sitting next to each other, texting each other. (laughs) And I'm like, you got to be fucking kidding me, man. And they're texting each other back and forth. And I knew it was happening because I could hear the guy's phone ding and he would smile and look at her. And then he'd start writing <laughs> and she would ding him back. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is out of hand. And, and when I started telling some friends of mine about that, they said they see this all the time. And the research shows that the more kids get involved in texting and screen time, the more depression they have, the more anxiety they have. 
and the more likely suicide becomes because they begin to feel alienated. And research shows that no matter how many friends you have on Facebook, Twitter, 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 uh, there's no correlation to your feeling of connection. And that they found that all that screen time and all these forums are no replacement for authentic um, human connection. And the other problem is, is that, as you know, people will say and, and uh, say very nasty things and be very rude to people because there's no sense of responsibility for how you communicate to another human being. But you and I both know if you talk the way a lot of these people talk on YouTube and forums and Facebook, you could get your nose flattened for something like that. So it's creating a whole uh, culture of people that have no sense of uh, morals or ethics or connection. And it's leading to higher, much higher prescription of anti-anxiety drugs, attention deficit behavior, hyperactivity behavior. So there's some real dangerous consequences to all I that. I can even feel like if I pick up my phone and start scrolling, I can literally feel like I'm getting anxious right now. And I'm not, and, I, and I, it always frustrates me if I just pick it up and I'm just like, why? I don't need my phone. It's like a, it's like an a, a addiction, a weird addiction. And it's sad people aren't aware of that. You just see everyone, no matter where you go, everyone's just surfing their phone. Yeah, well, if you want to have your mind blown, there's a book called Hooked. Uh, the author's name has got a weird spelling. It's like Isle Near. Um, I think it's like, I'm just trying to figure out what it's Isle Near. You'll know, okay. just look uh, uh, go on Amazon and it's on audiobook and he is an expert on the science and technology behind creating addictive video games, addictive websites. And he unveils all the science that Facebook and Google and all these guys use to brainwash you into using it. And it will blow your mind when you see how scientific it is and how they're literally hijacking people's brains and brainwashing them right into all this stuff and making billions of dollars by doing it. Gosh, it's, it's crazy. Cause I swear. And, and obviously I don't know, cause I don't really suffer from anxiety super bad, but I, it seems like in this day and age, if there's nothing wrong, well, you always can fall back on, I have anxiety. People always looking for what's wrong. And it, it, it's crazy to me how many people on Instagram and our social media sites say that how much we've helped with their anxiety. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, oh, I was trying to see if the author's name was on here. I brought up the book on my phone. It's called Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products, but it doesn't show the guy's name. But it's something like I'll Near. Okay. Yeah, uh, Wait till you listen to this, man. You are going. <laughs> I'll tell you what it did for me. It pissed me off. Look, I'm sure. I'm like, this is unfair to people. They don't realize they're literally having their minds hijacked, and it's it's like they spend millions and millions and millions of dollars to research. And not only that, they're using, as you probably know, artificial intelligence. People like Facebook and Google. They're monitoring every click on your computer. Every website you visit and all that stuff is being sold off to major corporations to do research. You ever, for example, been on Amazon and looked at a book or something, and the next time you go to your email, there's this thing saying, oh, 
since you like such and such, you might like these books. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mariah even said last night, she's like, I didn't even type anything into my phone, I swear. But I said out loud that we need this, and now it's popping up on my phone. Exactly. That's how they're doing it. They're, they've got AI, artificial intelligence. It's monitoring your, your, your phone, your Siri, your, your Alexa, all this shit. It's all monitoring your every move. And then they custom craft marketing, targeting exactly what your desires are. They even know how to time it when you're most likely to buy. They look at when you purchase, what you purchase, how much you spend, where you spend. They practically know how many fucking pieces of toilet paper you fold to wipe your ass and what <laughs> brand you're using. Gosh, just like and just like Elon Musk said, our, our cell phones are a mini AI version of ourselves. Yeah. Yes, and unfortunately that can be used against you very, very effectively. And this is why a lot of people – I saw a research report a few years ago that said – 98% of the U.S. population is two paychecks from bankruptcy because they're spending so much money on stuff they don't even need. I saw another research report that showed that of all exercise equipment bought on infomercials worldwide, 98% of it was never used past the first two weeks, and it's just sitting in people's closets and under their beds. I believe that. Oh, for sure. That's crazy. So you see people are getting hijacked. So. I'm sharing this with you, and, and Sean, I'm, I'm directing this to you. That feeling of anxiety might be your, your soul saying, be careful, you're being hooked. Yeah, totally. <laughs> That's what it feels like. Like a, like, like a bear that smells a trap nearby, yep. you know? So, uh, Tim, which of the four doctors do you feel is where your greatest growth potential is? I feel like... Um... Probably doctor diet, obviously. I, I feel like I have a really good um, diet, but still the 80-20 rule, I even feel like, man, 20, 20 is too much. I, my body doesn't want to deal with 20% junk. So I'm always yeah. trying to just still perfect my eating, and that's why I'm pumped to get into the Primal Pattern uh, program. Yeah, yeah, Primal Pattern eating uh, online course. It's, it's one of my – uh, one of the courses I'm most grateful I created for the world. And it, by the way, for those listening that want a sample of what it's like to be in Czech Holistic Lifestyle Coach Level 2, that is a chunk of Holistic Lifestyle Coach Level 2, which is our professional training. It's the first level of professional training for those of you that want to be Holistic Lifestyle Coaches. But it, it'll blow your mind. And uh, yeah, there's a lot to learn there. So um, how do you do with uh, Dr. Quiet? A doctor of quiet, I, I think I've been doing pretty good with, but it, like I said, it's it's hard when you're sitting at home and you've got your smart TV in front of you, your cell phone next to you, your laptop in front of you, your iPad. It's, it's hard to just sit for a minute and even read a book. But Mariah and I have been doing much better. As soon as we come home, we send out our texts or emails that we need to put our phone on airplane mode. And then, yeah, good. And then just connect for the rest of the night, and we don't turn our phones on until the morning. And that's been that's been huge. I feel like that's benefited our relationship a lot. And even being able to just shut off my mind for a little bit, I feel has been super healthy for me. I think that's a phenomenal thing that you're doing right there. That's good medicine for everybody. And the other thing is we can use this technology to our advantage. For example, 
There's truckloads of great audio meditations, guided meditations. There's hollow sync music. There's stuff you can use your phone for that's actually very good. But people get so caught up in like, you know, who's talking about me on Instagram? What are they saying? Or, you know, this sort of constant needing to get um, self-reference and keeping up with the Joneses, right? What's everybody else up to? Who's in the shit tonight, you know, it's, and so we can easily get kind of caught into that very shallow kind of existence. But if we use that technology to share things like findaspring.com or, oh man, you won't believe this free range beef I found this, you got to try this, try this place. Or, you know, if we use the technology in ways that enhance our connection to the earth and enhance our connection to each other, and do things like guided meditations and hollow sync music to harmonize our brain hemispheres, then the tool can be very beneficial. But most people uh, wait until they're, you know, facing a disease and they have to come see like a guy like me to learn how to use their phone in ways that are health producing. Yeah, one app we've been using is a uh, Sam Harris app. He's a neuroscientist. It's called Waking Up, and he he uh-huh. runs you through a program of meditation that he teaches you uh, day by day, and then every day he has a new meditation out, and I've, we've been really enjoying that. Yeah, that's fantastic. I'm curious, what are some of the ways that you guys create uh, sustainable happiness in your life? So, aside from fighting and training. If you said, okay, what are some something that I do every day or fairly frequently that's happy making for me, that gives me that sense of joy, what might that be? I've been trying to break that stuff down and just have a good perspective on everything and just be super appreciative of just the littlest things. Having plugins everywhere, having um, AC, ha- I can just go to the tap anytime and turn on fresh water. Um, I just feel like we're so spoiled in America in this day and age. There's unlimited things to be thankful for. So I've just been Amen. trying to have a good perspective on everything and just enjoying, like I said, the little things. Mariah and I cooking dinner together at night and just having a bag of smoke and watching my puppies play and um, going to jiu-jitsu and have all these people that are like paying me to learn from me and we're having this great relationship and teaching them something I love, which jiu-jitsu jujitsu is so i've been trying to just focus all my stuff and have a good perspective on everything that's beautiful i really i really appreciate hearing that from you and i'm really grateful that you've uh, got that perspective that's that's you know i tell people the day we stop worshiping is the day we invite a warship into our lives Ooh, that's good that's good. Tim Tim's always helped me with that too. Like if I come if I'm like stressed about something, he always he always simplifies it and like he's like, Yeah, but dude, we have we have fucking water, we have all this. So that's always nice, um, putting things in yeah. perspective. But for me, like things that I try to do every day that'll like uh, that I that brings me happiness is um my my morning routine. Like I really feel like it's starting the day off in a way that I know it's going to make me happy really helps in the, which that is every morning I go outside and do my waking up app. And then I go to the, uh, right when I have to go to the bathroom, I write my journal. I read the daily stoics books, just like a one page message for the day. 
Um, and I always start, start off my day like that. And then, uh, usually I end up going to the gym where Tim's at and being around Tim. Um, it's, it's fun. It's like being around your best friend. So that, that brings happiness. And it's just, there's just so many little things walk, walking the dogs and Danny and I take the dogs on a walk at night, just watching how jacked they are to go and sniff the same thing. They sniff 500 fucking times, but they just enjoy it so much. So watching them play too, um, just just being aware of the animals, like observing them when they play. We sit out in the hot tub and they'll just run around in the grass. And it's just uh, little things like that just makes your like your soul happy. So, Yeah. Are you guys uh, – you know who Rumi is, don't you? Heard. I, I've heard you talk about him. Oh, man. Rumi is – oh, how do I say it? Uh, Rumi is probably – if not the most enlightened person that's ever been on this planet, certainly one of them. R-U-M-I. R-U-M-I. Here's a quote from Rumi, just to get a sense of his power. You are not a drop of the ocean. You are the ocean in a drop. Damn. There's a... Coleman Barks is the primary translator of Rumi's teachings and Rumi's poetry. Rumi became enlightened and just started spontaneously spouting poetry and scribes followed him everywhere for years and years. I've got about 50,000 of his poems in my library here. You guys were sitting right in the room right next to him. But look for the book. I think it's called A Year with Rumi by Coleman Barks. And there's a poem from Rumi for each day. If you just put that near the toilet, it's like some of them are only like four or five lines, but trust Paul when I tell you, they will be powerful experiences for what you. What was that one called? I think it's called A Year with a Rumi. Year with okay, sweet. Hell by, yeah. By, by Coleman Barks, B-A-R-K-S. It's awesome, man. It's like you get a little taste of Rumi. Rumi said, no man can get to God until he becomes a heretic. Damn, that's good. And what he means is until you stop believing what's written on paper and go actually have a direct experience and pay attention to the beauty of life, you'll never get to God. You'll just get trapped in your ideas of God, most of which are what other people wrote down on paper to brainwash you. Their theories. So. Yes, exactly. So God just becomes a theoretical entity that you'll fight a war over, but re- and, but all these people don't have never even experienced God. So think of all the things we've been talking about, celebrating that we have water and that we have food and that we can have intimate sex with our girlfriends and that our broken jaws and painful experiences turned out to be just what turned us into the beautiful coach and lover and empathetic and compassionate person that would touch the lives of everybody else. That's meeting God right there. With who cares about what the book says if you if you don't realize how good food is and how fun it is to watch your puppy play and how great it is to support other people in their own growth and development. You know, I tell people just tear all the pages out of the Bible and just replace it with the golden rule for a thousand pages and you got a better chance of getting to God than reading all that confusing mythological conundrum that's self-negating and frustrates the hell out of people and puts you against your instincts and against yourself. And it's not just the Bible. It's a lot of the religious doctrines. But if you just 
practice do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And, and using others to mean all life, the insects, the birds, the bees, the flowers, and the trees. I mean, think of it. We couldn't be here without them. But we forget about that. And we think all we got to do is just cut shit down, mow it down, torture it, chemicalize it, and try to make money off it. Well, until you realize that you can't experience God without all that, then you never know what God is. And you're off you know, voting in Donald Trump to build more walls to <laughs> segregate people. Yeah. yeah Especially with the Bible too. I, I feel like there's just so many big words that confuse people. So they just pretend, Oh, okay. That makes sense. And it doesn't really make sense to them, but they just think it does. Well, here's a shocker for you. And you've probably heard me say this on podcasts before, but I've given thousands of lectures in this lifetime and many of them included issues of religion and the Bible. And I've had countless Christians in my audiences and in my advanced training classes. I have asked who in this room that is a Christian can actually tell me the meaning of the words Adam and Eve. Never once has someone actually been able to tell me what those words mean. I'm like, well, isn't that amazing that you don't even know the key words and then I start going through other words in the Bible and no one knows what they mean. I go, you believe this shit to the point you will fight for it and you will deny other people. You will tell them that they can't be saved unless they take Jesus as your Savior and you don't even know what the words you're reading mean. So who needs that when you have a puppy to play with and you got water to drink and you got a garden and you can support local organic farmers that don't poison the earth. That's real religion. That's real spirituality. That's kind of, we kind of want to build, our goal is to get a compound and kind of all of us live together and grow our own food. And that's kind of the goal. It's almost a little religion itself, but just like just being. Yeah. Well, you know, that's, it's, you know, the word religion means religio, which means to link back or to connect to. Mm -hmm. So the practice of true religion is the practice of connecting to everything that you don't realize is what sustains your life and makes life meaningful. So, you know, connecting to people that have different viewpoints than you, like Donald Trump drives me nuts, but I still realize he's an expression of a part of me and that to the degree that I don't like what he does, the best thing I can do is go in and find the person inside of me that wants to segregate and doesn't treat women as well as he could. And then I, I can love that part of myself. And in so doing, then I'm healing the part of Donald Trump in me that I'm responsible for. And that's what it means to link back, to connect to. That's why Jesus said, love thy enemy as thyself, because there's really only one self here. It's God. There is nothing but God or God doesn't exist. That's good. What did Carl Jung say about that? What you see in others is a direct correlation to what you see uh, in yourself. I'm not sure about that uh, particular quote. He said all religious systems are designed to protect you from the direct experience of God, meaning that if you have a direct experience of God, the only way you can do that is to have your ego be completely annihilated. So, if you're not ready for complete annihilation of the ego, then a direct experience of God is a very dangerous thing. This is why oftentimes when people have spontaneous kundalini rising, which can happen from flashing lights on dance floors to 
headlights flashing at you to uh, vibration in trucks. There's, you know, thousands and thousands of cases of people having a spoon, spon- uh, spontaneous Kundalini rising and they go right into a full-blown God experience and it can, it can you know, completely um, disable them, turn them into a schizophrenic. The shock of, of the intensity of oneness with the universe and loss of the ego is enough to just fry most people's minds. And that's why yogis spend years training for it. And that's one of the challenges with drugs like DMT, because one full hit of DMT and you can be one with God, uh, but you may actually uh, you may actually not come back because you can forget you have a body. I've known six people to die doing DMT because they forgot that they had a body and they forgot to breathe because the experience of God is so profound that it just knocks the ego to smithereens. So. Damn. Yeah, that's what that yeah. the Carl Jung quote was. Everything that irritates us about others can lead us to an understanding of ourselves. Damn, that's good. He, yeah, well, he also someone asked him what 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 is God, and he said everything that gets in the way and disrupts my path. <laughs> <laughs> nice. What he meant was it's so easy to reject all that and to get pissed off, but he says that's God too. So. Most people think God is only present in their life when everything's hunky-dory, but Jung was actually saying in his own kind of unusual way, don't forget that God is the stuff that challenges you the most as well. Oh, that's good. Bye. Damn. So, hey, coming coming toward the end of the pipe here, although I'm having a great time with you guys, oh, I'm yeah. sure I could do this for all day. I just wish we could pass the bag for that. <laughs> yeah, me too. So... I'm curious as fighters, what is your, what do you guys feel your end game is? What, where, where, if you looked into your crystal ball, Tim and Sean, what's the end game for you? Where's it all taking you? What are you working for? I mean, I I love the idea of the compound and training fighters and the farm and make sure you call me because I'll, I'll come be your bottle washer, your floor sweeper, (laughs) your corner man and your farmer. Hell yeah. And then we'll teach Mana Jiu Jitsu. Yeah, baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, 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 I'll make sure that you got the soil working right. You got my kid dialed in so he doesn't become a, a, a iPhone addict. <laughs> Hell yes. Well, kind of probably the goal for me, like I know there's no end goal, but I feel like the goal for me is I, I would like to build a decent sized gym to still where it's not a ton of stress where I'm working maybe two hours a day teaching classes and still making sure that all my, my morning routine is there. My nightly routine is there. And then I I still have time for myself to grow and still have time for myself, but also while running the gym and spreading, spreading the good word, (laughs) if you would call it of eating eating healthy and just treating yourself healthy and treating yourself as the most important. I After the HLC, learning the HLC, I look at people way different. People that I kind of used to look up to, but I look at them now and they're super unhealthy. Um, they're overweight and their relationships at home aren't very good. And I look at them and I think, how smart really are they when their relationships aren't good? They're not even taking care of themselves. Um, so, yeah, end goal for me is probably just have a good gym, make sure my relationships are really good, and make sure I keep learning and have time for myself. The end goal for me for me is just, um, like, when I when I think about the end goal, and I'm well, not in the end, but, like, 50s, 60s, like, I want to be 
um, still doing jujitsu or at least teaching jujitsu, um, still being with the people that I love, care about, um, the compound, I think we're all going to live together, live, the gym's going to be there. We're all going to grow our own food, <clears throat> um, raise some animals and it's like a, like a small tribe that we can, that we can just live with right there. I feel like that's the angle. And, and just con- contributing to the well being of others, to contributing to other people, just helping other people because like you say all the time there's just so many so many just sick people in every way out there yeah well i think that's beautiful you guys i i have i want to hug you and kiss you just hearing that i mean thank you you know you're such a great example to so many young people out there and and athletes of all types and everybody who can pick up that message and i'm I'm so proud of you guys, and I'm so grateful that I got to meet you guys and spend time with you, and that we have this connection that we have together. And you have such beautiful girlfriends, and you know, you just have these beautiful women that anchor you guys so perfectly. They're like each of you has met your perfect other half, and I loved seeing your girls out there lifting rocks with us, and it was just such a, a nice experience, and. I, I love you guys and I'm really grateful for what you're doing. Yeah. We're super fucking thankful to have found you. And I feel like we could have a whole nother couple podcasts about just relationships and communications itself, but super thankful to have found you. You've helped me like more than, you know, yeah, same, same with uh, me. I really appreciate, you know, even letting us come on the pod and talk to you and have letting us come out there uh, to your heaven house. And, you know, that was something that I, I'll remember forever and would love to do again. Yeah, well, anytime you guys want to come this way, let me know. Um, did you guys happen to know that my latest podcast with Aubrey Marcus came out and the topic is the devil? I have not seen that one. It's number 212. Check it out. Let me know what you think. I bet you're going to find it very interesting. Hell yeah. Sweet, we will. Yeah, let me know. Share it, share it with your fight fans because it's got a lot of stuff on – you know, that relates to everything we're talking about here. You know, what is the devil really, you know? Damn, hell yeah, we'll check that one out. I I love when you go on Aubrey's because even Aubrey, him talking about communication and open relationships and just being honest and just being your true self made me realize too that, okay, I don't have to live this way because I constantly looking at other girls. Other girls are sexy and I I, I know I'm not a bad person, but that's that's in me and – seeing Aubrey communicate it and you communicate it with Angie and uh, a penny made me start to communicate it to Mariah. And it's brought us a lot closer, made us be way more honest with each other. It's been pretty awesome. Oh yeah. You know, some of the funnest times I've had is like, you know, being with a woman that I was really enjoying life and love with. And she tap me on the shoulder and go, what do you think of that? And point out some totally delicious babe. (laughs) I might be, you know, walking, you know, you got someone like Kyle Kingsbury standing next to you. And I'm like, shit, if a woman doesn't want to shag that guy, then she's got, she's got to go see the doctor because something's missing in her genome. But, you know, in other words, just sharing like, oh, you know, cause, cause to me, I see God as the ultimate artist and I see beauty as an expression of God's art. And when you see a beautiful human being, I mean, how much more amazing can the art get than that? And so if you don't have the ability to share this 
fantasy and this natural attraction to the beauty that you see in other people. See, a lot of people are so insecure in their relationships. If a girl, you know, if a girlfriend or a wife catches a guy kind of, you know, eating a girl with his eyes, she really feels like she's been trespassed or like he doesn't love her. But like, it's like, come on, man. If you just work with that and say, oh, honey, tell me what you're feeling right now. What does that do inside of you? Mm, well, maybe you can visualize that tonight when you're making love to me. You can take that stuff, man, and just put that right in the food processor and turn it into just wild, oh, yeah. deep connection and good sex. Or, and, you know, or even pick up that chick and bring her home. And <laughs> well, there's, yeah, I mean, if she's into that, um, you know, I've had my share of those experiences. And when you give people the space to feel comfortable being honest about their feelings, you find that that's much more our natural way. Uh, but, you know, you start programming people with all this, you're going to burn in hell shit. Then what do they do? They sweep it under the table and they have extramarital affairs. They think they hid it from God and they've hid it from their wife. And lo and behold, you start looking at the statistics and something like 52% of people that claim to be in monogamous relationships are having or have had extramarital affairs. Well, that means you're fucking not monogamous and you're pretending to be and you're lying to everybody including yourself and you're attacking guys like me and aubrey and kyle and people that are being fucking honest with you and that that's so just quit being a fucking child and playing stupid ass games including games with the people you love and let it all just be an open expression of love and communication that doesn't mean you gotta run and fuck everything yeah. that you put your eyes on but you can certainly Say, wow, honey, look at that. What would you do with that if you yeah, could? Yeah, and that's... She'll tell you, right? And by the time she gets to the car, she's so well greased at the hinge, you might as well just lay the seat <laughs> back and get it up. Yeah, that's it. I just see... I, I see... There's very few people that I see that are 100% honest with their partners. Most of my friends, they get around their friends, and then they're 100% honest. And I don't really get it. And I feel like a lot of it's maybe, obviously, from religion, but a lot of it's from movies, and um, being conditioned so young that, oh, no, your eyes are for me and I own you and you own me. And and I, I, I just see yeah. so, so much of it. And I'm like, holy shit. And it take, but it does take balls for the guy to bring up that honesty to the girl and start communicating to the girl. And the girl really start opening up about her sexuality to the guy. It takes balls to do that, I feel like. And I don't know, again, where that comes from. Well... I got news for you. Until you can be really honest with a person that you say you love, you haven't really gotten into a relationship yet. You're trying to possess somebody as an object, and the ego absolutely resents being possessed because it goes against the whole function of autonomy. If you don't have an honest sense of self where you can share what's true for you, then you don't have a self yet. And when someone tries to control you and own you and put this imaginary fence around you, then you are now reduced to the position of being their object, their dog, or their child, which means you've stunted your growth. You're not even able to live as an independent human being that can share their own wants, dreams, desires, and fantasies. And if you can't share that with the person you're in love with, well, then what have you got? You're just... You've just turned your partner into a dog. You might as well put a studded collar around their neck and call them Fido. <laughs> Which is 90%, 90, more than 90% of the people I see. 
Yeah. And so, you know, look into your crystal ball and say, what will, what will that relationship be like in five years if it even makes it that long? And isn't interesting, the average marriage only lasts 2.5 years today. And the average person gets married three times in their lifetime. So it looks like the Bible's not working very well. Exactly. Or that whole concept, right? But then they go and pretend that they're good little religious people while all this shit's going on. Not to mention, we all know the church is famous for all of its sexual antics. I say just drop all the horse shit and be honest and trust the universe to bring you somebody that's your equal. And, you know, the love of the boomerang of love always comes home. So always put on that boomerang what you want back and you'll be okay. Fuck yeah, fuck yeah I love that. It's good. Hey, if you guys knew you were going to die tomorrow, what message would you want to give to the world right now before you go? What message? For me, just be nice. That's it. Awesome. I'd say check out Paul Check. <laughs> you learn everything That's you need right real. there. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm still learning a lot every day too. You know, if you if you have two wives, you you uh, more than double the acceleration curve on growth and learning. Then you throw a a couple of kids in there and you're right back in school and then you start working with clients and dealing with issues of the world. I mean, it's like, an, you know, enlightenment is a, is a never ending game. People think, Oh, if you're enlightened, that's it. You're one with God. You're perfect. You walk on water. Your shit doesn't stink, but that's such an immature perception, man. It, you know, I tell people, Many people say, Paul, are you enlightened? I say, to the degree that you applying my teachings in your life enhances your life, I'm enlightened. Anything else is bullshit. That's good. That's good. So, uh, great. You guys, if there's, uh, where can people find out more about you, your podcast, and anything else you want to share? Well, our podcast is Timbo Sugar Show Podcast. It's on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play Store. Um, we have video podcasts also on YouTube and we're now we're going to be like crowdfunded. So patreon.com slash Timbo sugar show. And then you can, um, subscribe and then we'll have tons of extra content every month coming out. Yeah. And for me, it's, uh, my YouTube channels, uh, just Sean O'Malley and then our Instagrams, sugar, Sean, MMA, um, Tim Welch, MT. Um, and then if you guys are into video games, I stream Twitch. Not sure how many guys that are going to listen to this <laughs> watch video games, but I do play video games. Right on. Well, you know, that's all right. I don't think there's anything wrong with video games. I think it's just being clear when when you are the game that's being played by the video yeah, games. Yeah, that happens. <laughs> Fuck yeah, that, that happens a lot. <laughs> I mean, it's all, it's, everything's like a tool, right? If, you know, if all you got in your pocket is a hammer, then everything looks like a nail. But if you can relax with a video game and have fun, but you still have four doctors in place and you go to bed and, you know, you take time to really love your partner and enjoy life, then fuck, video games are cool. But if you find that your life's being sucked into a video game, then you know you just got taken hook, line, and sinker. And your future ain't looking and too I've good. I've been there. After I broke my foot, my sur- uh, my surgery, I was playing video games like eight hours a day and everything. I was just like depressed and, you know, I was aware of it, obviously caught myself. And But yeah, video games can do that for sure. Yeah. Hey, you guys, it's been absolutely 
a great time hanging out with you guys. I love you. I'm grateful for everything you're doing. You know where to find me. Let's stack some rocks. Let's celebrate life and let's get together next time and I'll get out my roomy collection and we will do some hanging out with one of the greatest spiritual teachers that ever walked this planet. Fuck yes, Paul. Can't wait to hang out again, brother. Dude, hell yeah. I love you, Uncle Paul. Appreciate it. Hey, my pleasure, you guys. Lots of love. Okay, I love, love you, brother. See you later. Peace, love and chi, baby. You got it. Thank you for listening to Living 4D with Paul Check and today's guests, Tim Welch and Sean Sugar O'Malley. You can follow Tim on Instagram at TimWelchMT and Sean at SugarSeanMMA. Their podcast website is TimboSugarShow.com and you can help support Tim and Sean at Patreon.com forward slash TimboSugarShow. Follow Paul on Instagram and Twitter at Living4D Podcast or on his YouTube podcast channel, youtube.com forward slash Living4D with Paul Check. You can watch more on Paul's blog at paulchecksblog.com and the Czech Institute's blog at checkinstitute.com forward slash blog.